This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Albrin's Organic Goat Milk. Albrin's Goat Milk, made with love. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And my name is Jesse. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. This week, it's a guest week. We have Jesse on the show. Yes, welcome, Jesse. Uh, hey, guys, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited. This is going to be fun. So, for this week, Kelsey selected one movie to go with the movie that you recommended, right? Right. So, we are watching 1972's Night of the Devils and 2017's Hagazusa. We'll get into specifically what they're all about, and all of that in a little bit. But first... So, Jesse is a very good friend of mine. Okay, first of all, let me make something clear. We had a Jesse on our show last year. This is a different Jesse. <laughs> I know a lot of Jessies. <laughs> but I have known this Jesse since I was very little, and she was far more interested in horror before I ever was. There were many a uh, night that I had tortured Kelsey at when we were young. We can, I don't know if you want to go into that, but I mean. There That's were- fine. Let's hear it. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> go ahead, Kels. I w- first of all, I want to say that I've talked about you on, uh, with several movies because of these stories. Oh, so okay. uh, go ahead and tell them like which movies that you're thinking of. I was going to say Hellraiser or House on Haunted Hill. Those were the two, yeah. Very good. No, that's fine. I was just going to, okay. Guilty. I have definitely subjected Kels to some exciting uh, childhood memories (laughs) (laughs) when we were maybe of a a tender age. And uh, here we are today, both big horror fans, and I'm just super jazzed to be doing this and I'm excited. I've been wanting to join you guys for a long time and insert myself into this. Well, you know what's funny about that, Jesse? Uh, do you remember what movie we watched the same night that we watched House on Haunted Hill? Shit, I don't. You don't remember the other one? I don't think so. I mean, we were like 10. How do I remember <sighs> this shit? <laughs> I rely on well, you. Well, I this. have a very clear memory of that night. <laughs> of course you do. I remember you literally were yelling at me, I think, at one point, like, what is this? When they walked down the hallway in that unnatural fashion. (laughs) That one scene. Anyway. What was it? I can't remember. It it was The Shining. Oh, we did. The same night. Did not. Clearly, it did not have as great an impact on you. (laughs) But that's okay. So, Jesse, yes, there. I could go on and on about the horror movies that I have seen with Jesse and the horror movies that she has recommended that I see. Although lately, I can't say that she's been living up to 
her recommendations. <laughs> oh, man. What do you mean by that, Kelsey? I think Jesse's always willing to go the next step, and I'm always the step behind, I think is what's happening. More Would on you that. agree, Jesse? I mean, that's subjective. But <laughs> that's subjective. Step forward, step behind, whatever. I mean, I'm just I'm here for the weird shit. I mean, I'm I'm here for all of it. I'm here for all of it. But I I mean anything that has an uncomfortable amount of dread and a slow burn, I'm there for it. Which I know is really annoying yeah. for some. But anyway, more on that later. <laughs> i'd say i'm kind of in the middle of the you two on this i think i think your recommended movie here this week jesse uh was maybe a little bit more of a slower burn than i like but i am constantly talking on this show about how i love a patient film a director that knows like when to sit on a moment and so yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit more okay with that. I love that um, that phrase that you use. I've listened to some of your, your episodes, and I'm like, yes, patient. I'm going to use that. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we get into the movies, sure. horror trivia. Yes, and these questions are going to be asked to you, Jesse. Oh, boy. Okay. So... Newlyweds moved into a house that was the scene of a brutal mass murder and, to no one's surprise, they begin experiencing paranormal activity in this 1979 film. Amityville Horror. There you go. I'm so excited I got it right. (laughs) (laughs) That is another movie that you recommended to me when we were children. (laughs) Completely normal well-rounded, balanced <laughs> human beings. <laughs> All right, I got a question now. Okay. Uh, because our first movie is about vampires. In the Balkans, there is a folklore concept called a dampir. What is a dampir? Oh, man. What? Yeah. Hmm. How would you describe a dampir? Gosh. Uh, you got me stumped. I don't know. I'm sh- ashamed. A dampier? Uh-huh. Uh, their version of a vampire? Close. A dampier is a half-human, half-vampire. Oh. Um, isn't a vampire already half-human, half-vampire? No. <laughs> what does that mean? I mean, you were a human, and then you turned into a vampire. <laughs> yes, but if a vampire... And a human love each other very much. <laughs> oh, so it's Blade. Yes, Blade is a dampier. Blade is a dampier. Okay. Have you ever seen Blade? I mean, it's been a long time, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, Alucard from Castlevania and <laughs> Son of Dracula. Do you know what that is, Jesse? Yes, I have not watched Castlevania, but I know it. You do know what it is. Interesting. It's an anime, right? It is based on a video game series. Yeah. But Dampier means tooth drinker, apparently. So you drink with your teeth? I guess, yeah. 
literally suck it up through your teeth. I'm kind of into these uh, terms in other languages that just don't translate. It's kind of great. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Well, that gets us into our first movie, 1972's Night of the Devils, originally titled La Notte dei Diavoli, I guess because it's Italian. It's actually a half-production, Italian and Spanish. Oh, wow. Directed by Giorgio Ferroni, story by Eduardo Manzanos, with a screenplay by Romano Migliorini, Giambattista Musetto, and Eduardo Manzanos. It is based on the French-language novella La Famille du Vordelac, which translates to The Family of the Vordelac, which I guess is like a vampire-type thing. (laughs) Uh, The book is by Alexei Tolstoy, second cousin of Leo Tolstoy. Uh, And it was actually written in French and then translated into Russian as Semya Verdalaka, or Ghoul Family. So... Sesame history. I know, right? Yeah. Wow. It's also the source of one of the three segments of Mario Bava's Black Sabbath from 1963. Mm. It stars Gianni Garco... Augustina, Belli, and Roberto Maldera. What is Night of the Devils about? I would say this is about, gosh, uh, a flashback <laughs> of a mentally ill gentleman reflecting on the events that transpired leading up to his uh, institutionalizing and all of the colorful characters that he met along the way. <laughs> Very good. It's a fascinating way of looking at this movie. (laughs) (laughs) The movie is only available on Amazon. Uh, $3 to buy, $1 to rent, or if you're a Prime subscriber, it is free. I will ask both of you, should people watch Night of the Devils? I'd say so. Why not? Yeah, why not? Surprising. I mean, I must have read your text messages wrong. I thought you hated this movie. I wouldn't say I hate it, but it definitely is like for a certain person when you're in a certain mood and for something fun. I would say it's for something fun, in my opinion. Yeah, I'd agree. I would say just skip the first half hour. Yes. Watch the hour at the end. It's because it's kind of a slow build. First half hour is unnecessary. Just watch the hour and then you're good. I have to say this is my first Italian horror film, which I'm ashamed to say as somebody who enjoys horror movies. I know that's blasphemy. So I'm not (laughs) sure how to gauge this in terms of benchmarking it against other Italian horror films. So I'm coming at it as... Anyway, I don't want to get into it too much. We can talk more, but... I would say that you should watch it, but like I said, just skip the first half hour. And you? I I could take or leave this movie, to be honest with you. Oh. Uh, I think there's a lot to really appreciate here. It is very Italian, in a way. It's also bizarre. Well, yeah, but all Italian horror movies are kind of bizarre. But, I mean, people behave in really weird ways. Yeah, they do that in Italian horror movies. (laughs) Well, we'll get into it. Like Jesse said, we'll get into it when we start talking about the plot and all of that. (laughs) You can take our advice or leave it, but when we get back, we will talk about 1972's Night of the Devils. 
Yeah, there is nothing on the internet about Night of the Devils. It just doesn't exist. There are no trailers. There are no uh, commentaries, which aren't like YouTube personality reviews, things like that. So uh, you get nothing here, people, and you're just going to have to live with it. (laughs) Night of the Devils. All right, Jesse, get us started. How does Night of the Devils begin? Well, there's an opening scene with a guy who looks like he's been in this institution. He's clearly cracking up, but it's really unclear how he got there. And then there is this, I have to say, just knockout hot girl that comes into the doctor's office. Agreed. Yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. I didn't yeah. even notice her. God, she's she, she's one of the main characters. She's the love interest. <laughs> oh, and the redhead. Oh, yes. you go. You're going way too fast. We need to. We need to slow down. Okay. okay <laughs> There's okay. some things we need to talk about. <laughs> what would you like to talk about here, Kels? Okay. Well, first of all, you skipped the fact that we do get to see him. Nicola looks like he's in shambles, and we see him fall to the ground, and he's bleeding, and he just collapses. And then, before we realize that he's in an institution, we see his hallucinations, which include, like, a skull with maggots, and a naked woman being, like, manhandled, and that's when he wakes up, and we see... Oh, no! Actually, no! We also see, like, a face that explodes. Do you guys remember all this stuff? Oh, my God. Oh, I'm right. so sorry. I forgot about the sequence, and I actually took detailed notes on it. So, yeah. <laughs> Let's start. We open the movie with a close-up of, like, full 1970s Bush and oh, yes, right. do. And a hand that's like very, very in, involved. You know, <laughs> you know, like I wouldn't even call it a caress as much of a man as a manhandle, like you said, Kels. And we mm-hmm. see the maggots, and we see an amazing prosthetic head that just explodes. And I, <laughs> you know, and I have to say, uh, I was like. What the hell? What is going on? I love the practical effects, especially the mutilated face. Yeah, so sorry. There's no exploding head in the rest of the movie. No. Oh, no. No. Like, <laughs> several of the things that he sees here do not come up again. Yes. But, yeah, so, like, <laughs> this movie starts out nuts, and it ends on a nuts tone. Like, I... That's one of the things that I appreciated it, about it is that it just doesn't mind being off the rails the entire movie, which is funny because it's slow paced. You would think a movie that's off the rails would be fast paced, but it's slow paced. And I'm just like, I don't know what that decision was. I feel that this movie could have been sped up, even though it is only an hour and a half long. I agree. And it I, it was a little bit disjointed in the, like, pacing, because I was like, what the fuck is this opening sequence? What does it mean? <laughs> and then it's just like this. It almost felt like a little bit of a soap opera feel. And, like, the I don't know if I'm getting too ahead of myself, but uh, I'll hold my thoughts. 
<laughs> so Sedenka shows up. What happens there? Just I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say a couple other things that we're also still skipping. <laughs> <laughs> we see a heart, a human heart taken sure. out. And we see naked women tied up in places. Like he's gone nuts. This person is insane, and he has no memory of anything. But yes, then Svanka shows up, and yes, Svanka is very pretty. Uh, excuse me, it's Sedanka. But they pronounce it Svanka. It's a D, though, not a V. Yeah. But that's not the way they pronounce it. I would sure. argue they do. Sedanka. <laughs> you think Sedanka? Yeah, something like that, but much more attractive sounding, because they're Italian. <laughs> yeah, because Sedanka sounds terrible. Svanka is much prettier. Prettier, let's go with it. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so Svanka shows up, and I was surprised that in the 1970s, the doctor would ask if she had had a romantic encounter with him. I'm not. It's the 1970s in Italy, and even here. I mean, I would, I don't know. I would, I I have such low expectations for like how far things go along in terms of these kinds of questions and the patriarchy. I think, is that what you meant? Like, was just, it appropriate? Kind of that kind of question. Right. Yeah. I didn't think it was appropriate at all. And. But he's, he's being held there because he can't be trusted not to harm himself or others. And they know nothing about him this lady shows up claiming to know him and i don't know do what take him out of there they're gonna ask her questions what is her relationship to this man right because she's not family or and they know nothing about him right so it'd be nice to know what happened immediately up to this that's true but when she when he sees her what does he do he freaks the fuck out he has yep. a breakdown. <laughs> yeah, he kicks a dude in the face. And I'd like to point out that when that happens, they do not start beating on him. They just they just take him into his quarters. Like Imagine that. I just I wonder if Italian <laughs> mental health is just a million times better than ours. I don't know. Nobody knows here because we're all American. Okay. I mean, I don't know. I'm just going to be like transparent. As somebody who was a tortured teenager that spent a few days in a mental hospital when we were 15, I will say there were some moments that were special with people freaking out and they just dragged them to their room very similarly and would just be like, okay, you're going to stay here now and there's going to be somebody who watches you 24 hours a day. But yeah, it's not like they beat them. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. That's good to know. 10 out of 10 so do not a- recommend. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when that happened. Yeah. On to the next <laughs> thing. <laughs> so she ends up like leaving and they find her purse, but there's nothing in it, which. I forgot about that. Yeah. Which I think is. Just very strange. I think her whole coming here is very, very strange. I feel like it is all in... And this is a bummer, because I really liked the ending when I first saw it. 
And then the more I thought about it, the more I was just like, well, that doesn't make any fucking sense. Well, she's obviously, well, we'll get there. She wouldn't behave this way. I'm not so sure. I agree with Chris. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Well, Two to one. I like these odds. <laughs> you're, yes, you're making Chris very happy right now. <laughs> but so the doctor says it must be a traumatic memory that he is trying to erase. And then we get to go back in time and find out what actually happened to him. So what's the first thing that happens to him? I believe, if I recall correctly, but I haven't had a good <laughs> track record yet. That is okay. With the chronology. But I believe he sees this weird-ass funeral going on. Am I right? And I'm Yes. Yes. And just there's a, there's a body that's wrapped in this shroud with all of this blood that's soaking through and this weird wooden effigy that they put a big emphasis on that they buried the body with and and then you know this is where it gets a little foggy but from what i understand that's where he becomes acquainted with the people who are having this no 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 then then there was his car that broke down right and they helped Yeah, his him. car broke down, which is why he saw them. Exactly. But let's talk about that that carving for yes. a second. Okay. Because okay, when they first throw it in with him, okay, what happens is they're having a funeral and the dude says, "Have what meant the most to you in life." And one of those things is his crutch. Did you notice that? Yeah. I didn't. It was his crutch and then this carving and that was carving. buried like like two inches, they had already started burying the guy, and then almost they're almost to the top. Then they put those things, and then they just put a thin layer of dirt over the top of yes! that. Yes, but but then like the witch lady or vampire, I guess if that's what she's supposed to be. Which that took me forever to figure out that she was supposed to be a vampire because the way they talked about her, I thought she was like a zombie. Oh but, my god, I have so many feelings about this, but. <laughs> Whatever, we could get to that, but continue or I just, I also have so many feelings about the fucking wooden effigy where I'm like, what the hell is this? You put a big emphasis on it. It kind of comes uh -huh. up later, but not really. And I thought mm -hmm. there was something a little bit more occultish that ha would have a tangible explanation to maybe it's like they're hinting at that but yes. it never pays off especially with the fact that this person that they're burying right now started a carving for Sedenka and never finished it well, and we see that a couple times right cuz mm. he 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 was a wood carver right so when you find out that he was a wood carver you're like oh that's why they threw it in with him just cuz he was a wood carver i guess but then she comes and digs it up and makes it seem like she like she pours blood on his flowers like you think that this is some sort of ritual but nothing comes from it yeah I was expecting a little bit more on that. But I will say, speaking of the the flowers, I did think that it was really beautiful, that one just shot of them with the blood on the flowers. I really liked that aesthetically. Yeah, that was a cool shot. Agreed. But it did nothing to the story. It added nothing to the story. <laughs> it's a little bit of mystery, intrigue, beauty. Oh, God. Okay. Anyway, what happens to Nicola? 
Every time. Every time. Um, his car breaks down, which forces him to walk, and he comes upon this funeral. And one of the things that they say is, so the son says to his father, what if he finds the house? And you're thinking, oh, is there something scary at the house? But he's talking about his own house. No, he's not. I don't think he is. Oh, he's talking about the witch's house? I think he's talking about her house, yeah. We go there later. Yeah. And that's why he's like, then he's already dead. You know, fuck him. Okay. I thought he meant the witch's house, but he comes to their house. So I was very confused. Mm-hmm. Okay. Can we talk really fast about how the uncle died? Yes, please. Because it's implied, well, not implied, it's actually outright said that Jovan killed him. Mm. Yeah. But it's also, according to Jovan, he gave himself up to the woman. Yes. So was he a vampire? Yes. She turned him, and then Jovan killed him. That's why the face area of the shroud is, also, is so bloody. So why did they wait a month to bury him? No idea. Oh, because he died first when she killed him. And then a month later, Jovan staked him. So the dude was just walking around for a month as a dead man? As a vampire? Probably. But he didn't try to turn anybody else? As far as we know. Because when the rest of the family gets turned, that all happens in one night. So why did he live for a month as a vampire and didn't turn anybody? Valid question. I mean, yeah, it's a it's a good question, but it's one that there is no answer for. Unless it's unless the implication is supposed to be that he didn't love anyone in the house and only was happy with the vampire. I think it's pretty obvious he that he loved Sedanka. Yes. What makes you think he loved Sedanka? He was carving something just for her. Then why wouldn't he go after Sedanka? Maybe he tried. The point is, this is a time in the story that isn't told by this movie. But it doesn't make sense with what we see happen. Do you agree, Jesse? I mean, I have a lot of thoughts about just what the hell is going on in this movie. I don't. <laughs> is it because they bar up their windows and doors, and for some reason they weren't? He succeeded in not turning somebody because they successfully did it, and then the introduction of Nicola throws a wrench in the gears of their groove to keep these vampires mm -hmm. out. Maybe he was a distraction, and that's what led to this night of, of terror. But before they were able to keep them at bay, who's to say? That was my thought. Also, just, in, just a general question is, what the fuck with the, with the witch and there's vampires? I was very confused. Are they zombies? It was just... It wasn't until the end where I was convinced this was a witch-related film, you know, and then it turns into the zombie thing. And then I, and yeah, then it's so explained that it's they're vampires. There isn't Agreed. a lot that differentiates these different ghoul-like entities in folklore. Right. Especially when, you know, in their original time. Because the only way you'd know a zombie from a vampire is that a vampire drank blood. Mm -hmm. And zombies ate brains or meat or whatever human meat. The point is, is that they're all post-dead. Yes. And it's the very specific things that allow you to call, oh, that's a vampire. 
that's a zombie, that's a ghoul, yes, etc. etc. It's modern now that we have very specific, you know, like, oh, that's a vampire 100%. You wouldn't right. look at a vampire and look at a zombie and go, which one is it? Right. But back then, you might not know. Right. And I that was something that I actually tried to take a step back as I was judging it, where I'm like, okay, this is supposed to be reflective of a different time, a different culture. And like you said, there's it's not as uh, it hasn't been sensationalized yet to that point where there's a style involved with these entities. Like yeah. you said, it's very clear in American cinema and more, you know, when it's there's a zombie flick, there is a, a vampire flick. And here I feel like you said it's more rooted in folklore and therefore more nuanced. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I agree. Yeah, but it was still frustrating because I'm like, there's a witch. <laughs> yep. Why the fuck is there a witch? If that's <laughs> if this is about zombies, like, I'm sorry, not zombies, but vampires. What what role does the witch play in all of this? <laughs> Where is our focus I supposed agree. to be? Are we supposed to be afraid of the witch, or are we supposed to be afraid of the vampires? Normally, these folks don't coexist in my brain. So, yes, it was it was confusing. But at the by the end, you're like, okay, they're vampires. But that was that was a hard road to get through. Yes, as Nicola keeps walking, he does hear moaning. And that moaning will be a thing that is present throughout most of this film. And that felt... I appreciate it. I mean, I I agree that, like, yeah, if it were a movie today, it might seem over the top. And maybe even back then it was slightly over the top. But back then, I'm sure it felt very new and fresh. And I was able to appreciate it from that standpoint. Totally. And I could totally see why it would be creepy. Yes. But then he finds a dead cow's head, and I didn't understand that. <laughs> I have that in my notes, too, where I was like, what's up with this cow head? That was another thing where I was just like, okay, if this is a witch or a vampire, what is the potency of having an impaled cow head that's been degloved, de-skinned? I don't understand. While it looks cool, and I appreciate the aesthetics of this impaled head... <laughs> what what how does yeah, especially, this especially especially later when we go to her house and there's one impaled there on the stick and the person that goes to the house just hits it with another stick. Yeah. And like nothing happens. <laughs> yeah. He totally just knocks it off like it's nothing. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's just a warning. Maybe there is no mm. power to it. It's just get the fuck away from me. Yeah. Like Vlad the Impaler. Just like, I'm a badass. There you go. Stay the hell away. <laughs> He's watched by, like, different people. I don't know if that's supposed to be the vampire lady, like, going from place to place. Or if it's supposed to be sometimes the redhead, sometimes the vampire lady. I don't know. But he keeps being watched, and it seems like it's by different people. Nobody noticed this? No. <laughs> I don't either. Okay. Got nothing. I don't have I a note nothing. about that. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> he ends up getting to the home where Zvenka lives, and he asks them for help from uh, to get his car fixed, and lucky for him, this family, who never leaves this home, 
the son was in the army for some reason, and the only thing he learned from the army was automotive stuff. So, well, he could have been a mechanic in that way. I mean, if you're in the army and then your specialty is like being some sort of mechanical engineer, mechanic, plane mechanic, whatever. Me, I'm just, I'm just giving him the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Oh no, that's fine. But I'm saying like this family never leaves. Oh, that's true. Right, but but this this forest used to be full of people. It was a whole village, and these people are the only ones left. And it seems that this village was emptied out recently. Hmm. Okay. Okay, but I mean, like, okay, fine. <laughs> um. <laughs> but he refuses to do it at night. Mm-hmm. So. They ha- he has to do it um, in the morning. And they bar all the doors, all the windows, without explaining anything. Yeah. And oh, no. What? We're at this part, maybe. I don't know. What are you going to say next? Well, this is when we meet Jovan. So mm-hmm. he is the eldest son. The mechanic, too. Yeah, the mechanic. The one who's going to help him. Oh, I guess we've already met him at this point. But he, like throws the memorial thing that they have up for the husband uh, the brother the husband the the uncle the one that they buried why Yo- are you looking Yovan's- at me like i'm crazy <laughs> uh, we're waiting for you to finish what you're saying yeah yovan's uncle is the one who died yes 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 so he throws off the memorial thing and like takes his place and indicates that he is going to have sex with the wife that night. Oh. And Oh, it's so uncomfortable. It's it extremely awful. uncomfortable. And she does say no, but then later it's heavily implied that she does love him. Yeah, that part really Again, I'm like, how does this tie into the narrative? They don't really go into I mean, it just I guess to just illustrate that this is a weird family and that incesty stuff is par for the course. Well, it's he wasn't. She wasn't his sister. I she was know. His aunt. It's tangential. Well, aunt in law. Still, kind of like to me. I know. I know. <laughs> Maybe I'm a prude, but it's it's a little. Yeah. Well, I I mean, my problem with it is that she very clearly said no. Yes. Well, she very clearly said that her children are going to sleep in bed with her, yes. specifically so he couldn't do anything to her. Yeah. Yeah. And then when he comes later that night and forces her to kick the kids out of bed, it's like, oh, God. So But then again, it's implied that she wanted it. Well. Which I guess is just, I, no. it's the 70s, I guess. I was yeah, about I think to it's say. more that it's inevitable. Yeah, I think it's not, and maybe I'm being horribly insensitive but just the norms around the way these kinds of situations are portrayed i can imagine is like female acquiescing like yeah if a man is pursuing you like it's the it's the just the media portrayal of the no 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 but he quote charms them you know what i mean and it Mm -hmm. just and it's also very 007 totally and Again, maybe I'm being insensitive and horrible, but you know, as 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 somebody who comes from a an adjacent esque, you know, culture, you know, my mom's from Colombia, and just the whole concept of machismo, and Italians have kind of similar sensibilities sometimes, and I could see that also coupled with the '70s on top of that, of just oh yeah, that's I mean, 
I totally will fall on the sword if if I get called out, but that was my thought. (laughs) (laughs) No, that makes sense. But so, Svanka, pretty much from the get-go, is down for Nicola. GTF. Yes. He asks her to leave with him, but she can't because her father won't leave, so she can't leave. Um, Oh, a little bit of the relationship here. We should probably cover this. The dead man, his brother, is the patriarch of the household, and father to Stenka, Jovan, and what's the other guy, Vlado? Mm-hmm. I think so. I guess that's all you need to know. You just need to understand that there is, like, a patriarch that we haven't really talked about here. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that Sedenka and Jovan are brother and sister. Mm-hmm. Yes. Nicola is going to stay in the dead man's wood carving area. Mm-hmm. So she tells him, please don't ever open the window, but refuses to say why, because she knows that it'll make her sound crazy. Which, again, really bothers me when it comes to the ending. Because she should be smarter than she is at the ending. I think Mm -hmm. she's lost her mind a little bit at the ending. I agree. Well, (laughs) we'll we'll talk about it when we get there. (laughs) So the next day, the father, the patriarch, decides that he's going to take care of the problem. But (laughs) Jovan is like, dude, if you're not back by six, I'm going to kill you. And mm-hmm. the dad's like, that sounds good. But Nicola is going to throw a wrench in that plan and fuck everybody over. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, Gorka, this father, he is going to take care of this woman in the woods. That's his objective. And the worry is, since whatever these ghouls are, since they only come during the night... He has to make it home before nighttime. Otherwise, they'll have no way of knowing if he's been turned or not. Which, why did they imply that they are only active during the nighttime? Because she was totally awake when he came and found her. But she's a witch, Kelsey. She's not a vampire, perhaps. I don't know. And also... She also does one of those hisses at the sunlight <laughs> kind of thing. Oh, does she? Yeah. And and the whole day-night cycle in this is a little bit muddy. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think also because there's some really bad, like, day-for-night filming. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that doesn't help. I just have a note of what is this woman's motivation? What is this witch's motivation? I don't get it. Well, that's the funny thing. Because later they will tell us that the motivation is because they are lonely and they want company. And they usually go after someone that they are in love with in some way. Right? So mm-hmm. she went after the patriarch's brother mm-hmm. because I guess she was in love with him. Right? So I guess the only reason she attacked this guy is because he attacked her. Fair. Yeah, I, I don't think it's limited to people that they love. You could want to turn anybody just to have company, but you're going to target those people that you love. Mm-hmm. Which aligns with old school vampire lore. Oh, does it? Yeah, I mean, I might be butchering this, but from what I understand, I mean, in Europe, possibly here even, way back when, the whole idea of a vampire was that your family member passed away 
and they come back to bring you with them because they miss you, from what I understand. I didn't know that. Am I wrong? It's really interesting. I'm probably well, wrong, but yeah, from what I understand, there's the whole concept of they it's it's almost like a trauma mechanism of coping where like all these people were dying prematurely from all these horrible diseases. And how does, you know, different cultures cope with with loss in different ways and often it's through these weird spooky folk tales. And that's kind of from what I understand a common I mean Vampires have been around in so many iterations for in many cultures for many years, but one of them is that your family members who pass come back to take you with them. That's pretty cool. That's very interesting. Mm-hmm. And I mean, separately, this is just another sidebar, and I um, can't remember where in Japan, but there were like the there was a famine in this area of Japan. I don't know when. Many, many infants passed because, in fact, they even had to t- kill their infants for a time because there was enough food for everybody. And to, and to manage that grief and that trauma, they, they developed this folk tale about this river monster that came and comes and takes people and that it's, it's this river monster. It's not, it's not disease. It's not famine. It's something supernatural. Interesting. Is that the um oh god what's it called with the head a kappa I'm not sure I don't know Anyway so Gorka says I'm going to leave Yovan says be back by 6 or I'm staking you and Nikola says that's really fucked up you shouldn't do that <laughs> <laughs> Don't kill your dad <laughs> Yeah Nicola is going to kill all of them, basically, by that decision. But we'll get there. So, okay, when the father approaches the barn, Chris and I took hard notice of this weird boing sound they would use. It's a few oh, I didn't notice that. That's amazing. There were a couple times where she's like, he's like looking at her around a corner and it's like, it's like one of those sort of like 60s television show. Oh, how funny. Bong. Yeah, <laughs> it's really silly. And you're just like, what were they thinking? What were they thinking? It totally takes away from the tension of the, f- of it the does. mood. What? I mean, it does. Can I, can I chime in about something with the music, if that's okay? Is that yes. something I felt for like the first, like you said, I'd say a good half of the movie and just the dynamic and the atmosphere in the house is it almost had a whimsical soundtrack. Where it felt like a little bit of this storybookish vibe in terms of the the scoring, so I was it was I found it endearing in a way where I'm like this is not frightening. Hmm. The score <laughs> is like a little bit whimsical, so kind of speaking I'm have to, to put your that over us talking here because I don't remember that the music. Yeah, I I do remember the music having that kind of feel to it. it but to me it felt more like again kind of like the moaning it, it almost felt like and I think Jesse you think you said this earlier almost like a soap opera yes and on the heavy dramatic side melodrama but 
again, you can you can totally understand that that made sense for the time. Yes. So it still worked for me. But it felt like, yeah, you're you're definitely watching an old school melodrama. Yeah. Kind of campy. A little campy, yeah. There was also this whole thing with her scarf. We saw her scarf several times yeah. and that that never went anywhere. She like leaves that. it up on a post or something and then people see it sometimes. Yeah, people see it and people pick it up. She wears it like he stares at it when he first comes up and it's hanging there. But it nothing ever happens with it and you're just like, "What on earth were they doing?" I don't know. I don't know. So Gorka squares off against this witch vampire. We don't end up getting to see what happens here between the witch and the patriarch. But again, they bring up the statue. He picks it up and everything. Mm -hmm. But again, nothing happens with it. That day, Sedanka and Nicola, Nicola get a little bit closer. And um, I do love the way that he... He he's like, you know, you're so lovely when you smile, and he's giving you these nice compliments, and he goes, Now tell me, just what the hell is going on around here? <laughs> and I like the way that he I like the way that he says it. You know, in the middle of being flirty. What the hell is going on? <laughs> but yeah, she refuses to tell him. But then one of the little girls tells him. Yes, yeah, so the guy who died, his kids. With the blonde, daughters. with the blonde that Yovan has claimed now, pretty much. So one of those two kids, <sighs> DTF. Yeah, yeah. So she tells him about, and she calls her a witch. Mm -hmm. But who knows if that's just bad translation? Yes. Um, she might be a witch. We just don't know, right? But that if if he is not successful, then that will mean that he is also. A vampire. But here's the thing, guys. When he does show up, he does return. They make this whole big deal about, it's six o'clock, he didn't make it. He got here on the last bong, he made it. Either way, he, guys, he is, in fact, a vampire. But he doesn't have the symptoms of being a vampire. He can talk to them just fine. And he doesn't look all white and pale. What do you mean he doesn't have the symptoms of being a vampire? Those are the symptoms. They they are white. They are ice cold to the touch. They can communicate, but usually their communication is nonsensical. No, I don't I don't know where you got that from. Well, because for the most part they don't talk, but when they do Right, but if we accept that the woman is a witch, the only vampire we've seen up to this point is Gorka. I understand, but then we're going to see what happens to the rest of the family, and they all have the exact same symptoms. You're going to say that he just randomly doesn't? No, I just think because the... Okay, we're spoiling a little bit here, but because the people outside are looking in through the window doesn't mean they're incapable of speech. Right, but they barely talk. It, like when the little girl lures her mother out. Yeah. Oh, the little girl. That's a better example. She doesn't talk at all. Right. Yeah. And when the and when the blonde comes after Nicola, yeah, she's trying to be sexy, but she's also crazy. Isn't it the little girl who hardly ever talked before that? No, she's the one who's telling him right now okay. the whole story about the witch. But that's like the only line she has. 
I don't know. Do you, what do you think, Jesse? Uh, in terms of the credibility of his turning when he when comes back? When he comes back? back, he seems perfectly normal. I mean... Would you say that mm -hmm. that is in line with what happened to the other victims? I think that you're giving this movie more credit than it deserves <laughs> as far as, like, their thought around how credible is his behavior when he comes out versus everyone else's later. I think for this, it was more for dramatic effect that they were having him talk and so that they could have the exchange that led up to him being... I mean, you'll get to it, but, it, you know... Staked through but the heart. But he's not in this moment. It, because so. he convinces... Nicola. No, he convinces Jovan... Or Jovan. Jovan. That he's not. Mm -hmm. Because Jovan wants to kill him. He doesn't give a shit about what Nicola thinks. But because the father is like, the curse is done. See? Here's this hand of the witch. I have done it. Jovan's like, okay, fine, dad. But there's also the, the added context of... Nicola being like, I will kick your ass if you touch your father. Yes, we disagree. And Jesse thinks that we are both way overthinking it. So that's okay. Well, yeah, I just, I just chalk it up to this is like low production value, kind of loosey-goosey <laughs> with the plot. And you know what I mean? So it, it didn't surprise me. I didn't think that much okay. about it. So that night, Nicola feels the need to get up in the middle of the night and take a shot. Then we see the scarf again hanging in the wind and we hear more moaning. But Sedanka runs outside and is like, Nicola, what do you think you're doing out here? And he says, I think I heard something over by the kid's window. But for some reason... Yovan wants to be like, no, you didn't. You didn't hear shit. You're drunk. You didn't hear anything. There's nothing there. Even though, shouldn't Yovan be, like, worried about his dad? Yeah. Well, this is a guy who slept with his aunt. <laughs> so, let's just say... <laughs> just saying. I just think that Yovan, I mean, I guess you could chalk it up to he doesn't want Nicola to be right. But I just feel like Shouldn't you be more concerned about your father, but... I mean, this dude wants to stake his dad through the heart. Well, Let's exactly. That's why you'd think that this would be an excuse. Let's go find out. Oh, but their dad did come down the, the stairs and tell them to go back to bed. Yeah. So that was to throw them off. Okay, I forgot that that happened. Well, nothing does happen that night. No, it does. The daughter goes... Yeah. The daughter's gone in the morning. Yeah, because after that, Gorka, the dad, the dad takes her. Yes, who was out at the window that Jovan was like, there's nobody there. Right, but you say he comes down to throw them off. Yes. If he's there, then he hasn't done it yet. Right. So to throw them off of what? He's not the one making Get the noise. Get them to go back to bed so he can take the kid away. Totally fine. But throw them off the scent of what? They're not on the scent of anything if it hasn't happened yet. He would have. He was trying to. That's why okay. he was out there. Okay. That's what the noise that Nicola heard. So. How did he magically get upstairs? I don't know. Maybe just, being a vampire in this world gives you those kind of powers. I'm just saying you are making an assumption and then getting angry at the movie for the so results of So it's just supposed to be nothing, and it just happens to be that that's the same night that the dad was going to take the little girl? 
He's paranoid. He's been hearing noises this entire time. Any thoughts, Jesse? I just want to say a sidebar. These children is cr- are they creepy really as hell. Are. I thought I made a note about this from the outset when they're in the um, just uh, the window earlier in the movie, just like peeping out, looking creepy as heck. And then here we are. You know, I just the trend continues. And of um, creepy children. I, yeah, I just have to say also creepy children and. And yeah, so nothing, no big uh, ahas over here at this moment. So that night, him and Sedanka get it on. Oh, yeah. And again, man, is this lady smoking hot. Just 1970s glorious hair. She's got, she's got it all going on. And they make like all these promises, just like you mentioned earlier, like they are instantly in love with each other. It's just really funny. Right. She totally is super smoking hot. What were you going to say, Jess? I was just going to say, as you do. <laughs> yeah. You know, you fall you fall instantly in love and take your clothes off, as you well, do. it makes sense from her standpoint. She's stuck in the middle of fuck all nowhere, and there's been no men around for years. So, yeah, like, it makes sense that she would be like, I'm going to do this guy. Yeah, fair enough. Looking. I mean, shit. Talk about lack of self-awareness on my part. I mean, I was a mess on my first dates. I can't imagine living (laughs) in the middle of nowhere and having restraint. I was, you know, as someone who is an easy teenager, I can't imagine. (laughs) So valid. As you do. So the next day, yeah, they find out that Irina, as they pronounce it, Irina, went off with her grandfather into the night. And, of course... That's when Yovan is like, motherfucker, I knew it. I should have fucking killed him. And, of course, the mother is just freaking out, terrified, looking for her. That's Elena. Yes. And again, we will see the scarf. But at this point, isn't the isn't the original witch dead? You know, they never... Do they ever come back to her? No, they never come back to her. But supposedly that hand that the patriarch had belonged to her. Yeah, but he was also turned. That was enough. Hmm. It's a good question. Again, this 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 movie takes a lot of liberties <laughs> with what the heck is going on. But okay, so Yovan ends up killing his father that night. Uh-huh. With a giant stake through the heart. Gigantic stake. Yes. And I also love that when he opens yes. up his shirt, like his whole chest is white and big and bloated. Mm-hmm. Oh well, man, it's I scarred. love this part. Yes, where I was like, the note says, what the heck is up with these effects? Like, what exactly is on his chest? What happened to him? I don't know what's going on. It's pretty impressive. I assume it's their cheap way of making it so that they could put the thing through it and the blood would come out. No. But why on earth would they make it that obvious? It's on the wrong side. No, it's the wound. There's like a weird wound or some marks on his chest, right? Yeah, there's a wound across the right side. Like if his heart was on the wrong side, that's where it was. And when he gets stabbed with the stake, it's on the right. It's on the, sorry, the correct side where of the, the left is. where the heart is so it has that scar has nothing to do with him getting staked it has nothing to do with where his heart is oh well if yes. you're talking about scratches i would assume that that comes from her because what we see from all of the vampires is that they love to scratch they love it to this scratch. is true they also end up like sticking their hands like straight into bodies 
which is weird. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's what happened to him. But then what did she do in there? Yeah. And just the practical effects are something special. Another note <laughs> I made was just like the color of the blood in general is just so pigmented. It's kind mm-hmm. of fabulous. I yeah. love the I love the, I love the color of the blood. And just again, I know this is a little bit of a sidebar, but just the atmosphere in the house feels very like theatrical. The lighting is very theatrical. Um what what's that lighting style? Chiaroscuro something I'm butchering yeah. it. Yes. Very moody. All the all the crimson, borderline magenta blood. Yeah, it definitely looked like it looked to me. It looked like red paint. That's what I wrote down. Right. Yeah. Right. And oh my god, the special effect of his face melting. That's really cool. Oh my god, it's so good. I actually loved it. I was surprised. <laughs> I was like, this is actually pretty creepy. I'm into it. I'm into it. I don't understand it. <laughs> <laughs> Like how how does this tie into being a vampire? Does your face okay? I guess your face melts. Gotcha. <laughs> they this they is all very literally took this fake bust, put it in an oven, pointed a camera at it, and then just let it melt. Oh, that's so cool! It's very cool. But you can tell every time they cut away, it's like that's not in the same place. <laughs> right. <laughs> that was. I liked it though. I liked it a lot. So. Speaking of face melting, and Jesse definitely listened to this episode because she's the one that told me to originally watch Hereditary. No. Or you told me how much you loved it mm-hmm. and convinced me to watch it a second time. Yes. Because I hated it the first time or something like that. But so you definitely listened to our Hereditary episode, right? Yes. So the movie that we paired with Hereditary was called Devil's Reign. Right. And in Devil's Rain, don't their faces melt as well? Like in the rain. Yeah. Yeah. So it reminded me of that. And it all connected because Jesse is a part of it. Jesse <laughs> told me to watch Hereditary. So You're welcome. <laughs> See, there are times when Jesse tells me to watch good horror movies. There are times. And then there are other times. <laughs> I can't wait for this. This is going to be good. (laughs) But, okay, so Nicola is like, this place is fucked. (laughs) And he goes to the nearest town. But Sedanka is like, dude, if you're going to go, at least talk to this guy. Mm -hmm. And he's like, fine, I will. So he goes and talks to that dude who's been fired from the police force for exorcisms, apparently. Again, what the fuck? Now there's exorcisms. I want to know more about that. (laughs) There's exorcisms, too. What the hell is going on? (laughs) All kinds of shit in the Italian countryside. (laughs) But so he's like, all right, let me get this straight. They put a stake through a dude's heart, and then his face melted. He guesses all this. Dude doesn't have to tell him. Yeah. What what more proof do you need that there's some supernatural shit going on? (laughs) But Nicola does. Nicola's still like, no, that's wrong. It's it's messed up. So the guy tells him, go back and get Sedanka because it might be too late now. So he does. And Jesse, do you remember what Sedanka is acting like when he shows up? Yes, she's acting like she's turned. She's turning into single white female vibes. 
And uh-huh. she's like <laughs> just getting really uncomfortably clingy and you know what I mean? It's and, But it's borderline implied that she has turned. Yeah, and she he even says that like she's super cold and she yes. has blood on her neck and she's like, oh, I don't even know what that is, but it doesn't even hurt, so don't worry about it. Like, and then mm-hmm. meanwhile, all the dead people, which she acknowledges are dead, she does say that. She's like, oh, they're all dead. And he does ask her, why didn't they kill you? And she's like, I don't know. I guess they didn't love me. Ugh. Which just, I have so many things to talk about with the love thing. Like, the fact that the grandfather apparently was in love with his daughter. But again, that could be a familial love. But it's just odd that it's his eldest granddaughter specifically. But what the fuck do I know? I'm not a grandparent. Maybe love for a grandchild is that unique. I don't know. But... All of them are looking in through the window, and she's acting like, it's no big deal, we be fucking. And I'm like, that is a big deal. Some weird shit is happening. This is why I say, I think at this point she has lost her mind. Right. Right. And she's just like, oh my god, my Romeo's gonna come and take me away. And she's just, everything's all romanticized. Or, or, you know, depending on your perspective, that this, maybe she is, um... An advanced vampire who's just trying to give him this semblance of she's not turned, but she really is. And she's being coercive in her turning. But yes, I think that she has lost her mind. But I think when we get to the end of the movie, I think that's where that comes into play. Of is, Has she turned or has she not turned? Well, I think, I think we can address it now. It is shocking, sure. guys. The ending for me... Like, I could have guessed it, but it still surprised me because he will leave here thinking that she has turned for good fucking reason. Yes. And when she shows up, she's not doing any favors to act normal. No. When she shows up at the mental hospital, she's acting Mm -hmm. crazy, too. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense that he would believe that she has turned. Now, again, I could have guessed that she hadn't for a shocking ending, but I gotta say... That's, that's where my mind was. But I gotta say, I was shocked that they did it. Yeah. Yeah, and then it made me... And I stop me if I'm doing this at the right, wrong point, but, I mean, maybe I will save it for the end of just okay. what... Like, was this real or was it not real? That's something I thought about of, like, he killed a woman who was not a vampire in the mental hospital who came after him. And maybe, like, he did meet this family and they did, you know, fall for each other. But, I mean, I just thought about, like, the twist twist could be that he's just fucking crazy. And, like, all this happened. So he stakes her and he, Uh he, as he's being held down or held back... He demands that they show her face. Look at her face. Look at her face. You'll see it. And when her body is turned over, it's completely normal. And then he just breaks down, devastated. And that's like how the movie ends. Right. I I just feel, I mean, that's an interesting theory, but I don't think there's anything to back up the fact that it didn't happen. There's nothing to indicate that. Fair, aside from her not turning. So that's a difference from the original novella. In the family of the Vortilac, uh, he comes back, Sedenka is there, and she is alone, 
and then he realizes that she is a vampire and that she's charmed him. And then he gets attacked by the entire family who is now vampires Mm -hmm. and he's able to escape by the skin of his teeth. And that's how the book ends. She is actually a vampire. That would have been a more traditional ending. So I liked that they decided to do the shocking ending. We didn't talk about the fact that the girl who was turned turns her mom who turns Jovan, and that's how everyone gets turned. We didn't mention that. I just want to drop that in right here. Oh, yes. Yes, that's a really messed up scene because she's lured out by her daughter, and it's really sad because she kind of knows that she's being lured, but she also kind of doesn't care because her daughter's dead. And can I just add also just the convenient opportunity to add in some more female nudity and that her her child is clawing yes. at her bare breasts and just, uh-huh. okay, gotcha, that makes sense. Yeah, not offensive yes. at all, but just I think it's funny and convenient of just, okay, let's just drop in a little bit more female nudity, you know, uh-huh. just a little bit of sprinkle it on top. As much female nudity as we can, yes. Yes. But then this one has the odd weird context of her adolescent her daughter. daughter. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Exactly. It, the, the context is what got it for me, where I'm just like, this This is even more like a little bit of an eye roll for me. Like, okay, yeah. you're, you're, this is the scene in which your child turns you and the director is like, you know what would be a good idea? Let's have your child just paw at you. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> totally. All right. So are there any notes that we haven't gotten to? I do want to mention that when he, okay, so he has to fight his way through a, the family to get back to his car after he leaves Sedanka behind. And at one point, he takes off the fingertips of the mother. Elena, yeah. And she laughs and, like, is pawing at his That's window. creepy. It was a very creepy scene, a very creepy shot. thought that I was well I liked that. I also liked all of the vampire parkour that was going on in that scene. <laughs> <laughs> Running around and, yeah. yeah. <laughs> parkour. Oh, yes. One of them does a huge jump off the top. Yeah, Jovan. <laughs> Just woo! Exactly. <laughs> I was like, that was my note. Vampire parkour. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just thought this movie was off the wall, did bizarre things, had bizarre imagery, and I appreciated that, and I enjoyed the weird melodrama stuff. Sure. I'd say stylistically, I thought that the practical effects were endearing, (laughs) and that uh, I appreciated some of the, just the color I enjoyed the color in the movie. I enjoyed the lighting in the house, even if it kind of set it up into more of a, that it had this little house on the prairie vibe for it inside of the house for me, just innocent little, yeah. and theatrical. And uh, I really enjoyed just, and again, I don't know if this is an Italian horror uh, style choice or if it was the director of just the, superfluous use of pushing in on people's faces just the zooms all the time and i and i thought okay this is for dramatic effect but it happened so many times of just pushing in on people's faces it's very so 70s I, too yes that's what i was going to ask maybe that was just kind of a 70s thing or but 
So that was interesting. And and while I love a slow burn, this did not do it for me as we will go into the next movie of just, I don't mind a slow burn if there is a good sense of dread and grimness going on. And I did not get that from this. It did not. There wasn't, yeah. Di- no, like it didn't it didn't do it for me in terms of like building a sense of dread that makes the payoff so worth it, you know, in terms of the pacing early on. And again, just what the heck is the wooden effigy? The acting wasn't great. Did not I didn't think the acting was great. And uh don't know why we had to incorporate the incest in there in the mix or incest esque shit's going on (laughs) and yeah just the thought of it was fun even though like you said kelsey there's not enough there to back up about just playing around in my head of was this a fever dream even though it it wasn't i'm sure but that was kind of fun to play with so this movie doesn't have a cinema score doesn't have a metacritic it doesn't have a rotten tomatoes score it does have an audience score on Rotten Tomatoes out of 76 reviews. What do you guys think that score is? What's your guess? Oh, man. I question who reviewed it. Are these people that are like hardcore Italian horror people that feel compelled to leave a review for content like this? Or is this just your average viewer, in which case I would give different guesses? I would assume that it's people that like this kind of stuff because why else would this is not a well-known movie. So, like, I don't think that this is one that, like, people would see, oh, it's a famous one, I should see it. Um, I think this is one that you would have to seek out. Um, but that but is it a good one of them? Right, those. exactly. That doesn't necessarily right. mean that they liked it. But right. the people that saw this, I assume, are the people that are looking for this kind of movie. Ah, oh, shoot. What do you think, Kels? I'd say that's pretty close to what I would guess. I I mean, maybe like, maybe a little bit higher. Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe like a 66. It is 54. Oh, Oh, interesting. We shot too high. We did. Do you think that's overrated or underrated? I'd say that's underrated. I'd say it's a little underrated, too. What would you guys give it? I said 65. Kels? I'm gonna give it 69, dudes. 69, dudes! That's what I'm gonna (laughs) give it, because I don't think it doesn't quite get past the threshold for 70 for me. I don't know that I'll be sitting down to watch this again ever, But I think there's a lot to like here. I think it's all well put together. It just, there's a lot of story elements that I'm just like, no, no, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't work. But I enjoy, like I said, the melodramatic aspect of it. I like, Jesse, I got the same feel you did. I think I just used different words to describe Mm -hmm. it, but that whole fairy tale feel you were talking about, I totally got that, and I enjoyed that about it. But it just, that first half hour is real hard to get through, and I don't like slow burners. I I thought it had a lot to offer, but it just didn't quite reach a 70. Same exact thing I'd say that both of you said. 
but I'll give it a, I was thinking 67, 69 felt a little high to yeah. me, but it's definitely on the positive side of the 50, 50 mark. Yeah. Totally. It it piqued my interest and curiosity to watch more Italian horror films, so that's why I gave it the score that I did in a vacuum, being like, okay, this is an interesting appetizer. I would be willing to go back for the entree, maybe seeing another Italian horror film. So that's why I gave it on the positive side of, you know, upwards to 65. Oh, good. All right. Oh, good. That is 1972's Night of the Devils. Before we get into our next film, horror trivia. All right, Jesse. Name two horror movies that are about drugs or drug use. Oh, gosh. How come Hmm. I can't? Oh, okay, okay. Midsummer. Midsummer. All about the psychedelia. And let's see, I think of another one here. Um, I mean, one might argue that the coming film we're discussing also involves some drug use. I, I think you could definitely yes. say that. <laughs> I was assuming that you would. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't know if that would be a cop-out. But yes, I would say, that, yes, the movie we're about to discuss and Midsummer. which shout out to Midsummer. We still haven't done it, surprisingly. We live Even tweeted it, I we thought. We both really liked it. Did we live tweet I it? I think we did. We asked if we should watch the director's cut or not. Oh. And I think oh, we ended oh, up wh- watching the theatrical and saying, if we ever watched it again, we'll watch the director's cut. We have the director's cut. I think I might have bought it when we did that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But shout out, shout out to Ari Aster. <laughs> yes. What are the other suggested answers there, Kels? The suggested answers that they gave were Toad Road, Uh? which I'm assuming licking the toad. Oh, that makes sense. John dies at the end. The black stuff. Yeah. Even though I wouldn't really call that a drug. No. Eh. Well, we'll we'll watch that movie on the show. I really don't. Okay. (laughs) Jesse, did you see the movie? No, I just read the book. Okay, guys, I convinced Jessie to read the book, and she did not enjoy it as much as I did. But you did like it, right? Yeah, yeah, it wasn't bad. It just, it, I think it was just, um, the. I don't know if it was like, I can't remember because it's been a while, if there was a gross factor or a crassness, there was something about it. It's certainly crass. It's certainly crass. Mm-hmm. But, uh, so they made a movie out of it. Jesse, would you consider that a horror? I wouldn't. I was going to say that's not a fucking horror story. It's just like a weird adventure that has like monsters. I think it was more, it's a more lampoony adventure <laughs> with like creepy monsters in it. Right. But I would argue that we've covered a lot less horror movies on this. You know well, I, mean? I can claim that the next movie is not a horror movie <laughs> that we're about to talk about. <laughs> well, I got to get my question out. Oh, and also something I've never heard of called Naked Lunch. Oh, yeah. Oh. I've heard of Naked Lunch. Naked Lunch? I've never seen it, though. You I know mean, what that is? Is, the, is? I mean, Naked Lunch was a book written by William S. Burroughs that was a very um, psychedelic book. Stream go. of consciousness thing, but I don't think it's a horror story. 
Well, maybe the movie does it weird. You should see John dies at the end. I think the movie's okay. Maybe you'll think that the way that they did it makes it seem like a horror. I don't think it is, but Chris argues that it is. I think you could make an argument that it's worth being on this show. There are invisible monsters that when people see them, they are terrified. Like, there's this weird black goop stuff. Whatever. Life and death. The book's better, and the sequel is even better, but Jessie won't read it because she didn't really (laughs) like the first one. That's this book is full of spiders, right? The sequel for... Okay, so I really loved the first one, but the second one... Oh my god, I, I couldn't stop laughing. It's this book is full of spiders, right? <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay, Chris, ask your question. I have a question here. What book about witches, usually translated as The Hammer of Witches, sold more copies than any other book other than the Bible for more than 100 years in the 14 and 1500s? You got me. Ah, oh, Jess, I was counting on you getting that. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, I thought Jesse would know it. Say it again. What book about witches, usually translated as The Hammer of Witches, sold more than any other book other than the Bible for more than 100 years in the 14 and 1500s? I'm ashamed. I don't know. No idea. The book is the Malleus Maleficarum. Mm. Oh, that's cool. It's kind of, I guess, what made the concept of witchcraft and folklore kind of go crazy. It was basically a book all about how you might hunt and identify and kill witches. And it was very, very popular. Hmm. All right. That's fun. Speaking of witches. Speaking of witches. Moving on to our next movie. (laughs) Hagazusa from 2017, written and directed by Lucas Feigelfeld. This is apparently his thesis film from film school. Yeah. Oh, he he did which, this in school? Yes, which I find incredibly impressive. That it's this very was his impressive. Thesis. That is that it that does make it feel more impressive. Yeah. Its full it's title is Hagazusa: A Heathen's Curse. Mm-hmm. And Hagazusa is apparently Old High German for witch. Well, it comes from Hexen. I guess that would make sense, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, it stars Alexandra Quinn, Selena Peter, Claudia Martini, and Tanya Petrovsky. What is Hagazusa about? Yes, Jesse, tell us in one short sentence what this movie's about. <laughs> Well, there's layers to it, and I don't know if I should. I don't know if I should say what it could be interpreted as because it can go one of two ways. Uh-huh. It's a story about an ostracized woman living in the Alps during, I believe, the 1500s, mm-hmm. and the internal and external torment that she experiences over a period of time. And it's implied that she is a witch. Or that at least people think she's a witch. Exactly. Like, I don't know if it's a spoiler, but it, it, it could also just be commentary on an unwed woman who's mentally yes. ill. I think that's very possible, but we'll get into it when we talk about the plot. 
The movie is available via subscription on Prime, Hoopla, Canopy, DirecTV, Shudder, and Mubi. You can rent it for as low as $3 on Amazon, Google, YouTube, and Vudu, or buy it for $10 on Apple TV, Amazon, Google, and YouTube. Should people watch Hagazusa? I mean, I'm going to give it a hard yes. I know I'm the unpopular one in this room. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you say yes? Well, I mean, it to me, it's cinematically gorgeous, like just aesthetically stunning. To me, I again, I'm I'm kind of a sucker for things that just really are so deeply unsettling for an that you can't really place why for a while. And so, yeah, I would say people should watch this film. Aesthetically, it's beautiful. I would argue that the acting is incredible, despite there being very little dialogue. And the end is quite the kicker. So I would say yes. It, it, it definitely has big Eggers vibes for me. If you like The Witch and you want it to kind of take to the next level... I, that's how I would say it, just like in terms of how atmospheric and and patient it is. This movie has been described as Germany's The Witch. Well, this movie made me appreciate The Witch more. I can see that. Kelsey, you would say no. Okay. Uh, no, but not like I, I don't have anything to say against what Jesse just said. I totally agree with all the reasons that she just said people should see it. I still don't think you... Okay, first of all, like I've said several times at this point, I don't think of it as a horror movie, so absolutely do not go into this movie hoping for a horror movie. But if you're just looking for a good drama... Them's fighting words. Sure. (laughs) I mean, sure. It's not my cup of tea, but I'm sure that there are a lot of people that would really like it. I agree with both of you. I I think that it is definitely patient, but I think this movie tests the limits of my patience. Like (laughs) it, because you could argue that any slow movie is patient. This is right on that border where it's like, man, any more than this and nothing's happening. (laughs) Like, you could go through the plot. We'll go through the plot of this movie. It's going to be a very short bulleted list of things that happen. Not much actually happens in this movie. Yeah, I think that this conversation should more be focused on our thoughts and feelings about it. Because I I can take you through the plot in a minute. It's not. But the plot is not what we're here for. But what Jesse said, it is gorgeous. It maintains this sense of dread throughout Mm -hmm. But in my mind, that's kind of all the movie was. I don't know that there's any dread. I <laughs> there. I did not like. I. I honestly, and I'm not trying to be a bitch. Like I honestly, no, do I don't not, care. I do not understand why anyone would argue that this is a horror film. I see I disagree. But I could see. I can see where you're coming from, and I disagree. Just in the vein of the way some of these art house horror movies are going, there are a lot of kind of double entendre-like plots that are going on that we're seeing come out. That, like, you know, some might say Midsummer wasn't a horror movie. Some might, you know, like, I'm just saying 
I think there's a little bit more creative agency these days about like framing horror movies. Again, maybe I'm wrong. I feel like if you were to put this movie next to The Witch and Midsummer, I think it would be so glaringly like it, it makes it clear that those two movies are horror because of how, for me, how clearly this is not. But okay. I would compare this at, on that level of like whether or not it's a horror. I would compare this to the movie that you tried to get me to watch. Yes, I was about to say that, Possum. Possum. Yes. Because but at least Possum, I can I totally see the argument for why it's a horror movie because it does have horrific imagery. I but this doesn't even have that. <laughs> like this doesn't, <laughs> I mean, doesn't have anything. I mean, I mean, there's a culty stuff. I mean, I I don't know if I'm going into the weeds too early, but well, well, okay. I I think I think yeah. Jesse's art house is a great term for this. Yes, but we will get there. Go ahead. Yes, do your thing. You can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 2017's Hagazusa. And yeah, there's also no good trailers for Hagazusa out there either. There, Okay, I, let me correct that. There are good trailers, but they are almost dead silent. They just have the droning score from the movie over the top of them and a bunch of texts and visuals. It's kind of like the movie itself. So I will post a link to that trailer in our Twitter thread about this episode, which you can find in the description using whatever podcatcher you are currently listening to this on, and you can watch it there. Hagazusa. Okay, Jesse, get us started. How does Hagazusa begin? We start in the snowy forest. A woman has this sled. She's pulling her kid along in the, her daughter. There's this older man that's warning them to get back inside because it's the 12th night. And so mm. it had this um, kind of a warning feeling. And so it starts out with this. From there. Pause right there. Sure. Pause right there. Sure. Do you know what that means? I looked it up, and it's the 12th day after Christmas, from what I understand. But I didn't, I wasn't able to find much in terms of is there some dark element or superstition. I wasn't able to dig around and find that, but it does have a, it does have significance in Christianity. Okay. And this is a very Christian Yes. Well, culture. we never see that dude again. We never hear anything about the 12th. We never hear anything about that name. He tells her to w be wary of something. And I was like, well, I'm sure they'll say the name again later. So I didn't bother to write it down. I think it's just supposed to get us in the mood for like the folklore and the superstition that they have in the area. Mm -hmm. I guess. Yes. But so then that night. What happens? So that night, there's shouting outside. There's some men that are, you know, threatening the her and her daughter, you know, saying that they're witches. And it flashes to this them standing outside wearing, like, this kick-ass, like, very old school. To me, it looked pretty pagan, what they were wearing. But I'm sure it was just more traditional old school Hill folk German garb, maybe, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? That did have an Skins. element of, yes, exactly. And kind of had this ritualistic 
vibe to it with torches and then they come around you can tell they're kind of beating on on the on the cabin and and that's that's where it goes oh we should probably say this is separated into four chapters and this yes. first chapter is called shadows oh, that's right yes shadows exactly. i don't know why it's called shadows Well, they're shadow-like, if you think about it, or the shadow self, I could see, you know? But anyway, so then the mother falls very ill. I could see maybe it's the Black Death, because she has these bulbous Mm. growths underneath what could... They look like near her lymph nodes, like kind of near her armpits. And, Mm. you know, the nuns are coming in, and they're caring for her. They leave... She becomes more and more ill, and after, you know, a short amount of time, she's, you know, having her death rattle. Her young girl is kind of caring for her. She deteriorates, kind of becomes a little bit deluded, and eventually invites her daughter into bed, but she does have this really deranged look that was just amazing, and this creepy groan kind of rattle sound, and she just has that psychotic look on her face. What is it she does to her? Well, yes, she. do you mean once she gets into bed? Yeah. I mean, yeah, so... The daughter, you know, as a good daughter does, gets into bed. Mama dearest ends up straight up like assaulting her daughter in bed, sexually assaulting her daughter, like in a very visceral, like intimate way that we're not accustomed to seeing. I think in film, yeah. straight up like the girl, you know, squeal, you know, not squeals, but you know, she she cries out. It's painful. And the mother smells her hand, and it mm-hmm. is, it's very, very it's upsetting. It's very upsetting. Right. Absolutely. And this is all upsetting and gross and uncomfortable, but it's all just clinical. It's all because she's gone, she's become delusional because of her illness. Which, by the way, I looked it up. And based on all the symptoms that I took from her and I wrote into, you know, the internet, actually a lot of stuff came up for um, some form of cancer. Um, oh. like Lymphoma? Lymphoma. Really? Or Hodgkin's? Really? Is that the yeah. same thing? Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. So based on what I saw and what I wrote into the internet, a bunch of, yeah, things came up saying Hodgkin's or lymphoma. Hmm. But who knows? It's still a really fucked up scene. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, imagine how terrifying that must be. Mm-hmm. We, we see in the eyes of this little girl that she does what her mother says mm-hmm. because it's her mother, in spite of the fact that she is terrified. And then she like wriggles her way out of the bed mm-hmm. and gets out of the bed because she is absolutely scared for her life. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just saying. It's horrific. It's horrific for the little girl. I mean. I don't know. I mean, I also was, you know, thinking about just the flexible nature of how things could be interpreted with these kind of shamanic-esque dressed men outside her falling ill very quickly 
And -hmm. just thinking about on the more mystical side, was there some sort of curse that was put upon them? And did she become kind of this darker, you know, witch-like character that loses her sense of self, harms her daughter, or more likely, like you said, Kel's like, she's super sick. And maybe she was always twisted and she's at the end of her robe. She decides to sexually assault her daughter. But I would say... It is frightening for the audience. There's a cool-ass skull above the bed. It's very dark and moody. The way she's holding her body is, like, it's very unsettling. Her expression on her face looks horrific when she's kind of beckoning her daughter over. Yep. I agree. This is where I think the horror comes in, is why I bring it up. Yeah. I I understand why you're doing that. And I agree that it is creepy and it is weird, but, like, I I don't know. If your only terror is going to be sexual assault, to me that isn't horror. That's just a drama about sexual assault. And if you want to say that sexual assault is terrifying, absolutely. That makes perfect sense. But not in the way that a horror movie is supposed to be terrifying. Again, I don't sit down and watch torture porn because I don't think torture porn is scary. I yeah. like I, watching someone hurt someone else. Where's the fear? Like I'm just uncomfortable. Well, I can dr- understand that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I could totally see that. And I just I think this is where for me like the it's the shock and the atmosphere of just that really tense atmosphere of dread begins setting the tone it just sets the tone (laughs) but i but i I yeah let's set the tone (laughs) (laughs) and then the mom dies yeah so yeah and her daughter finds her in the forest with this snake on her which is interesting because is this an allegory it kind of goes back into the heathen concept the snake comes back too it does okay Let's talk about the my huge problem with all of the allegory and all of the symbolism is that there's so much of it yeah. that nothing stable is being set up mm-hmm. and it's just kind of throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks because none of it seems to be creating a stable platform for the story. And I just don't feel like any of this is solid. And at the end of the day, if you want to make a movie that's all about what does the audience interpret it to be? Well, that's for me. No, no, I did not sit down to watch a movie where I get to come up with the story. Like you're the one that's supposed to be telling me the story. This this is what I paid you for. This is where the descriptor art house comes in, I think. This is where... It's obnoxious. It's navel gazy. It's not accessible. And I will give it all of I will say that all up front and I will own it. And it's it's pretentious, a hundred percent. However, that said, being a self being self-aware and my it, just saying that up front is that's why I like it. You think it is self-aware. No, I'm self-aware of my taste and that times like I acknowledge that this movie is navel-gazy, inaccessible, not exactly uh designed for 
an out of the box experience, like you said. Like I want just like you said. Yeah, exactly. Like you want a story. You don't want to have to come up with what the story means. And I think that's how it was meant to be, and that's why I could see why it's completely obnoxious to some folks. <laughs> I'm, uh, I and I uh, I own that, and I'm I'm I, I, and I'm one of those obnoxious people. <laughs> <laughs> so. You did not mind that it felt, or maybe you disagree with me, do you agree that all the allegory and all the symbolism does not click together and it's all a big mess? Do you agree with me on that? I wouldn't say, I disagree with that because I think that there are through lines in which all of these symbols come together and they're just kind of layering on this concept of of, of sin and is this person a witch, superstition, tempting of the fates, just temptation in general. So that's how I feel. But I'm totally open to your feedback and thoughts. And again, I, I don't take any of this to heart. I'm not married to this. In fact, this is fun. So please feel free <laughs> to, to speak frankly. How about well, you, do Chris? You, do you? Yeah, what do you think, Chris? About? Do you agree that with Jesse that it all does work together? In my opinion, the allegory and the symbolism, a lot of it is contradictory and it doesn't work well together. On Jesse's perspective, it layers, and for her, that, that layers well together. Although, I'm going to challenge her to explain how it all works together, Well, we'll get there. <laughs> because I think this movie is more focused on creating a tone than it is on creating a narrative. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where all that symbolism comes in. It feeds into the tone, not the narrative. Kind of stop trying to read so much into it is what it's saying. You just feel it. Yeah, I'm not about that. I feel you. Because from it. my perspective, that's just you being a lazy dick that's like, I'm going to make a movie and <laughs> like, this cool? you figure it out. <laughs> well, that's, there's that pretension thing that we're talking yes. about. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I mean. So I, that I, is Shadows. Yes. <laughs> Go ahead. No, no, no. I was just going to say I agree with you. It's it's This whole movie is about a feeling more than it is mm -hmm. like a formula with beginning, middle, and protagonist, antagonist that's very clear. Yeah, it's more about a, a feeling and a mood for me. Yeah. And while I understand, so. it's really fucking annoying. Freak else. <laughs> <laughs> All right, second chapter, Horn. Yep. Where we learn about her goats and her... And her baby. And her baby, which comes out of fucking nowhere. I wrote um, down, as soon as we saw that baby, I wrote down, well, that baby gonna die. Uh, yes. <laughs> like, I knew right away yes. nothing good was happening to this baby. No. Okay, let's just get the goat thing out of the way. <laughs> That's my next note. <laughs> she gonna fuck that goat. Okay. <laughs> Okay, all right. I get that it's a feminism thing. I get that it's like the power of life is giving her strength and confidence, which turns her on. And so in this moment of feeling the beauty of a woman, she also feels the beauty of her womanhood. I get all that. But at the end of the day, she's masturbating next to a goat. 
okay? While she's milking like, it. That, yes. That happened. That actually happened. <laughs> Just to be abundantly clear, there's a woman who is... It's a very sensual moment that leads up to it. She's she's milking her goat. She starts to commune with the goat, petting the goat, and then she masturbates next to the goat. I completely Not next to the goat. Her face is like oh. nestled up into the goat's fur. <laughs> <laughs> She has one hand on the udder and then the other hand on herself. Again, I get that it's all about feminism. I mean, Is it? Is that what it's about? I don't. I disagree completely. Really? And I, I, wa- I want to know what Chris thinks, though. Wait, wait, no, but okay, okay. We can ask Chris, but I'm very curious as to why you completely disagree. I, I'll go there. I'm just curious to hear his take first. I think that this is an isolated and disturbed woman who finds comfort in the few things that she loves, and one of those things happens to be her goats. There's something... I mean, haven't you ever, like, laid neck... Okay, this is going to sound really fucked up. I don't mean it this way. But, like, isn't there something comforting about, like, laying down on your bed with your dog or something like that, right? Yeah. But but we have social connections with people and loved ones and things like that. She's out in the middle of nowhere. She communes with no one. Her crazy-ass mother died when she was a child, and she's had to raise herself effectively. I think she's just detached from things that are normal to us. Interesting. Yes. I mean, yes. She was also... Like, let's be, like, explicit about what happened. Her mother fingered her. Like, that was a thing that happened to a little girl, and then her mother died. And then I'm going to go so far to say that she was probably raped at some point. This is her baby. Yes. and There's never an explanation of where the baby comes from. There are guesses, but no explanations. Exactly. So there's that trauma. And I think that's where symbolism comes in again, because this is a goat. If you think about, like, goat's significance in the occult, she's, it's yeah. almost like an, an allusion to her. If you, if it, that, that's where it's fun to me, because it's like, this is a mentally ill woman who's isolated mm. everything Chris said. It could also be interpreted as her, like, an, a sacrilegious thing, because this is a goat, yeah. which is associated with Satan. Yeah, that's a good point. That's, uh, I agree with that as well. And I honestly do think that, that it, I totally agree that that is part of it. I think there is a lot of her teeter-tottering on whether or not she, A, believes in, and B, wants to be a witch. Right. I think that she teeters on that. Like, do I truly believe this stuff? And even if I do, do I really want to do this? And I think she goes back and forth. So you don't think it has anything to do with, like, I don't know, the way that the way that the milk hits her hand. Oh, there's that. And, and it's it's just so Mm-mm. just woman power. No, no? I don't. Get I thought that. that's what it was all about. No, <laughs> I don't get that at all. If anything, I see it as like, like Chris said, a very mentally ill person who's gone through a lot of trauma living in the middle of nowhere and just the ugly reality of like 
shit happened back then. Bestiality was probably not unheard of, let's just say. So that's number one. Number two, the level of sensuality that she shares with this animal could be, again, an allusion to the seductive nature of the devil. Yeah, that's a great point. More horror right there. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So what happens to all Brune, our main character? She's she masturbated next to a goat. <laughs> she makes a friend and her friend gets her raped. That happens. Yeah. <laughs> like, what do you... Again, you could get into, like, the nature of feminine friendship and how women treat each other no, and she's disrespect not her one another. But yeah, sure. But at the end of the day, there's a chick who wants her to get raped for some reason. You're very end-of-the-day-minded right now. Because <laughs> that's, that's, okay, like, I had to take a step back after watching this movie and reassess everything because you can't take anything surface level here. No. Which I understand. That's fine. But, like, you can't erase what happens surface level either. Well, I think that goes back to the duality of is this is perhaps an ostracized woman who is mentally ill and vulnerable, who is detested by the few people who live around her because they perceive, you know, they perceive her as like a an, an as a either a woman who's a whore because she has a child out of wedlock, the demon mm-hmm. like just the demonizing of a woman who had been raped with a, who has a child you know and and it could be construed as just pure cruelty like you said Kels and like what's the point of it? it it's just a rape scene or maybe this is their fucked up way of like vanquishing the darkness of mm-hmm. just I don't know well so we could talk about that the first the first time this woman comes to Alburn's cottage, mm-hmm. she's come to get her because the the parson has summoned for her mm-hmm. and has called her to talk to him. Mm-hmm. She talks to him, and he's in this room full of skulls and bones, and then gives her a painted skull. Mm-hmm. It's unclear if that's her mom. It's implied that it's her mom. Yeah. But there's no way to know. Right. And then she takes that home, puts it in a corner next to a candle, next to some leaves and flowers and stuff like that. Her baby rejects her nipple. Mm-hmm. The friend comes back just to hang out, sees the skull, and freaks out. Well, that was kind of a weird moment, too, because she almost seems entranced by it. Mm-hmm. And then well, she's Well, because not. she's trying to hide it, and she realizes, oh, it's under this kind of shrouded cloth thing. And but like, I don't oh, think is it's that a fear? I don't think it's fear. It's like a trance. But it's at this point that this woman's actions towards Albrun take a turn, which is interesting because it's almost like you have a skull in your home. What kind of fucked up witch are you and anti-Christian and all of that when that was given to her by the parson of the church who made a point about expelling evil? 
So it's mm-hmm. there's a weird confusion there. Yes, contradictions abound. <laughs> right, but I don't think that's the movie's contradiction. I think it's man's no, contradiction. Of course it's, not. it's religion's contradiction. Exactly. No, yeah, because she goes to the ossuary. He gives her the remains. She brings it back. And I want to point out that when this woman came to her cottage, she also presented her an apple. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely, we're seeing that she's being tempted. But again, that's also contradictory because the idea here is that if if you want to take in the, the whole, like, she brought her the apple and then because of that, she ended up having sex after that. And then you could also extend it to say that she had a baby before she ever had sex because she didn't know the sins of the world. And then the devil came and introduced her to the sins of the world. But then that contradicts the fact that she was already in cahoots with the devil with her with her ghost. But let's just take that out of the story for now and go back to the woman. So the woman is now going to have her have sex for the first time and she is going to be introduced to evil and knowledge. Okay, so then she's going to use that evil and knowledge to become the full-blown witch that she was intended to be. Then why does she blow up at the end? Hold on. We are not there yet. (laughs) We are not there yet. Contradictions everywhere. (laughs) Okay, so this woman, Swinda, Mm -hmm. pretends to still be her friend, takes her to meet this weird man. They go to a hillside together where Swinda basically calls her a heathen Mm -hmm. and then has this man rape her. Right. And then Auburn stays on that hill for a while after they leave. Yes, and and Swinda says the anti-Semitic comment about how... Yeah, I was going to say something about that. Yes, exactly. Very anti-Semitic comment about, like, maybe Jews took you in the middle of the night, basically, or... Mm -hmm. Yes, and that... And take you and you bear a child, so... That's all tracking with with old school Those who don't carry God in their hearts. Exactly. Yeah, it's pretty fucked. It is fucked, and the rape scene is... I mean... I have to say, one of my favorite things about this movie is the score, and I can go into, I'll, I'll talk about just general thoughts later, but interesting in, in this scene, it's just, the, the, the music is just so good, it's just like, it's, it's almost like this very uncomfortable droning that's at a it's very... It's a drone. Drone yes. is exactly what I was going to say. Yes, at a very low frequency, and it just makes it so... Just... It's so uncomfortable. Like, in my body, it felt uncomfortable. The closed captioning calls it foreboding theme. It would say <laughs> foreboding theme playing, or sometimes dramatic theme playing. Can I? Oh. <laughs> but they're very similar. These are two different songs, but they're very similar that way. And what made it even more uncomfortable is that there's no dialogue. There's very little dialogue in this movie. And yeah. in this scene, it's just very intimate. It's a close shot on their on the woman who is almost getting off on this. She's like holding yeah. her down. She's smelling her. You can tell she's enjoying this experience while this just the the horror in Auburn's eyes as this is happening. It's really, it sears into your mind. Yeah, but again, I, okay, seeing horrific shit like this is not the same as a horror movie because 
again, it's like I'm watching a torture porn. Like I right, but you wouldn't argue that torture hurt, porn is watching horror. somebody hurt someone else is not scary. It's more just like, well, this fucking sucks. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it does. I don't, it, it does. Like, it doesn't. Like I'm not sitting there like, oh my god, what's gonna happen next? And I'm not like terrified. I'm just like. But it's the whole implication. Right. It's the whole implication of just this possible witchcraft and and what happens. Like it's re I'd say it's realistic. It's very realistic of like if this was set in the 1500s and this was actually happening. It's pretty realistic. But and just but she also says that she has a stench and just be, like Swinda yeah. says that. And again, that kind of goes back to like that sense of is the this witch you know there's something wrong with her but do you do you actually think that there was something wrong with her or do you think it was just in their binds <sighs> i think that i mean i can we can go into this at the end if you want but just like i think the end is fun to think about like her mother's role and just that whole sequence that happens but I like to think that this this works on both parallels of being a witch or being mentally ill. Right. Which is why I like it. So she, after this, she stays on the hill for a while. Mm -hmm. She goes home and rushes inside and finds her baby fine, which is something that she does a lot in this movie, by the way. She just leaves her baby at home, mm -hmm. which I well, guess what else is she going to do sometimes? There's all kinds of theories on the internet. About, about is the baby, uh, does it exist? Did the baby exist when at all? When does it die? Yeah. Did the baby die halfway through the movie? Oh. There's all kinds of theories. Oh. When I was watching it, I thought that the baby was dead before it, before it actually dies, according oh. to the plot. But yeah, so there's there's all kinds of theories, but none of them can be verified because the movie doesn't want you to be able to verify any of it. So, right. So she goes outside, can't find any of her goats until she goes into wherever it is that they're sleeping and sees something tied up and it's all furry. That fur that she nestled up against when she was masturbating earlier. And then touches it, and the whole thing unfurls, and it's the skin of her goat with some of its entrails that just fall out. And the heart. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which could also be construed as some level of, like, cursing. Yeah. How come that's not witchcraft? Exactly. Yeah. I feel like there's a part. Okay, so my dark and twisted humor... Thought this scene was funny because it was like, you know what? I bet they killed that animal because they thought they were taking away her livelihood, not her <laughs> they were taking away her partner. lover. <laughs> <laughs> like they don't know that the real reason she's upset is because man, there goes my masturbation time. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody thinks that's as funny. As <laughs> no, it's funny. I no, can't. it is. It totally is. So that's the end of horn. No, it's not. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. You're okay. missing what she does. She, puts she goes inside, she lights a candle. What does she, she do, Jess? She puts a dead rat in the stream. That is blood. No, it is not. Oh, is it blood? No, it's not. No, I, yeah, it's it's still in this chapter. So she puts the dead oh, rat okay. in the stream. She pees in the stream, which I don't I don't think that was 
Like, that's not going to achieve the result she wanted unless it was just a gesture of a fuck you. But she puts a dead... Yeah. Yeah. So she puts the dead rat in the stream, poisoning the water supply, and then the next scene cuts, and she has her baby with her, and there's these creepy-ass, cool, like... Not coroners, but people that are, you know, taking dead bodies. There's a bunch of bloated dead bodies on this cart. And she Bring out your dead! Exactly! Yes. And she has this <laughs> look on her face of satisfaction that she has achieved her objective in getting her revenge. Again, this could be... this. It's both literal, poisoning the water supply, but it could also be like, is this a witch thing, you know? Is it psychic in some way? Right. Yeah. Is, it a, is it a spell? Exactly. Or is it just unhygienic or is it the plague or is it not connected at all we don't know it's but it's it could also what's great i mean for me what's great about this movie is that it's all of those things at the same time yeah which is what i love that's something that kelsey and i differ on quite a bit is how explicit things are it, it bothers Kelsey because it feels lazy, like you don't have to make a decision. You don't have to stand by your guns if you make things ambiguous. And for me, the ability to, like, it encourages thought exercises mm-hmm. of, like, oh, what if this is what happened? What if that's what happened? And thinking about that stuff can be cool sometimes. So this is where Kelsey and I, I think, conflict almost the most when it comes to styles of films. And this is... All ambiguity. Yes. And Jesse certainly loves ambiguity as well. I so. do. I do. I agree with you. I like things that make me do some mental gymnastics. If I have the energy and I feel up for it, right. I enjoy that. Okay. I don't have a problem with thought exercises. If you want to sit down and do a thought exercise, I'm fine with that. Don't tell me I'm sitting down to watch a movie then. <laughs> Totally reasonable. I get it. Yeah, totally, (laughs) totally, totally. It's not necessarily entertainment. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Thank you. I'll give you that. Totally. It could be some, again, it's all the things. Is this a hex? And it's also literally poisoning the water supply. You know, people die. She looks happy. She has her baby. She has that subtle flicker on her face of satisfaction. And then these people gonna drink my piss. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and then there's another really kick-ass scene in this chapter. But if you if you folks want to take the lead on it, you're welcome to. We okay. So for me, mm-hmm. I had it that she okay. One last thing about her peeing in the water. Okay. Sure. Did you guys notice at the end that she had a bloody nose? <gasps> That's yes. right. And again, is that because she's a witch and she just did a hex? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But the we, movie ain't gonna tell you. Uh-uh. So this is why you to think about it. This is why I think that this is actually part of blood. Mm. Well, okay, but what I was what I was about to say, I have written peas on a dead rat in their drinking water, has a bloody nose, and then blood. And then it says carrying a dead body. But, so we see the dead body after the oh, blood starts. Okay. If I recall, though, there was also that very long scene, which is one of my favorite scenes, I believe was still in this chapter, where it's, it's a very dark sequence, like literally in the dark, of her washing her hair. Should I go into it? Yep. it okay. So this is one of my yes. favorite scenes in the movie. 
She goes into her house. It's nighttime. She's washing her hair. She's topless. And it's just a very slow, sensual, intimate moment where she's just moving her hair. You can't really see her face. She's washing her hair. She's pouring water on herself with this ladle. And again, it's the music. The music in this scene is just... It just really gets me. It gets me going. It's really foreboding. There's this sense of of building dread. It's another one of those scenes that's building and layering the dread and this atmosphere. And then just the shadows and the color, this really blue color of the scene and the movement of her body, I find is really beautiful and entrancing and creepy. And then the ne- right after that, there's an in- intensity in her eyes and she's engaging in some sort of possible ritual in front of the skull. Yeah, like talking to her mom. Exactly. Well, Jesse, let me ask you. Mm-hmm. Do you have any theories about why they spent so much time on... Because I read a thing that mm. has this whole theory about what that's supposed to symbolize. What Do, do you have any say? ideas about why they would stay that long on that shot? I mean, I don't know if it, I, I frankly don't know. I don't have any deep thoughts as, as on it aside from that it was pretty and had a good sense of dread and good music, and I really liked it just from an artistic point of view. What are the theories? Okay, so I agree with you. I thought it was pretty at the time, but in my mind, it went on when I was watching it. I was like, hey, well, this is going on for way too long. Yeah, it's pretty, I don't, but I don't get what I'm supposed to get out of this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I didn't write it down, and I don't think Chris wrote anything about it down either. Because Maybe. it kind of just washed over us. Mm-hmm. And, but yes, in the moment, I did think this is pretty, but I don't get why. Mm-hmm. So then I read online that they think it's an opposite baptism. That's exactly what I was going to say. You spoiled it. Oh. (laughs) Because we haven't gotten there yet. But the first thing that we see in in blood is her, when she sees the person carrying the dead bodies away, she is for the first time in the whole fucking movie wearing bright white and tan, which are sort of the colors that the other woman was wearing. Mm -hmm. The whole movie up to this point, she's wearing like these drab grays and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. This is, is, it is sort of like, damn, I really wish I hadn't waited for you to say that and I would have interjected. Because that's exactly what I was going to say. She is kind of cleaning herself almost maybe in a desperate response Mm -hmm. to what the woman said about her stench and her Mm -hmm. uncleanness, Mm -hmm. uncleanliness. And then the next time we see her, she's bright, she's happy, she's strolling through the fields, she's wearing bright colors. Like, her, she changes entirely here. And she finds maybe a little bit of her power in her anger, I think. So yeah, I think it is a reverse baptism. I think that's really brilliant, and it totally... I, I, it went over my head, and I watched this movie twice. So I love that. That's really, that's smart. And my bad, guys, I totally mentioned them carried, carrying away the dead bodies and was being insistent that it was this chapter, but you're completely right in my notes. It is blood. My bad. Sorry. But the but the rat and the pea yes. and that's the horn. baptism, that's all in yes. blood, uh, horn. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. yes. Which is the longest chapter. It is so long. <laughs> yes. So what else happens in blood? 
Okay, so uh, she eats some mushrooms, and she goes on a real bad trip, and her baby, which I was convinced was dead at this point. So was I. Because the baby wasn't moving, <laughs> baby wasn't doing, wasn't making any noise, wasn't doing mm. nothing. But then when she goes into, okay, so she eats some mushrooms, she's tripping out, and then she goes into the to a lake, and her baby wakes up and starts crying. And again, in my fucked up, dark, twisted humor mind, I was like, oh, I'm just going to let nature take care of this shit. Because the look <laughs> on her face, the look on her face is like, oh, fuck this baby. Well, her like and eyes. I like, into the water. Like, nature, you can handle this for me, right? You got I this. Was, I was really tempted to like, let's use that shot of her eyes looking down at her baby while mm-hmm. she's stoned out of her mind. Because mm-hmm. that, that shot. Where you see so much of the whites of her eyes, and it's like her eyes are pointing like daggers at her child. Mm -hmm. I I wanted to use that as the image for this episode. It's so powerful. Super powerful and disturbing. Yeah. Yeah. Disturbing, I think, is good. Super effective. (laughs) Yeah. But so then she goes underwater for a while, and I'm like, okay, cool it's pretty underwater and you're on you know that's cool (laughs) i don't why is this going on for so long it felt like the tree of life you know that segment in the tree of life where it's like the birth of the universe wait 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 pause jesse yes have you seen the tree of life i have not i'm gonna guess jesse would like that movie but you continue The, the the movie really got on my nerves because the whole thing comes to a grinding halt while we watch a sort of psychedelic interpretation of the birth of the universe, of the mm-hmm. Big Bang. Mm-hmm. And then it takes us all the way from then up to like modern day. But it's it's like you're in a kaleidoscope and there's this weird sort of stuff happening visually. And that's what this felt like. It's like, oh, we're going to take a trip. And ever since I watched Tron the first time. And I fell asleep watching Tron when I was a little kid. And I fall asleep in the same spot every time I watch that movie, regardless of how awake I am. It's that scene when they take a nap. I fall asleep, too. I call that nap time. (laughs) This felt like nap time for me. It was like, oh, this is the part that I sleep through. Yeah. Totally fair. What do you think, Jess? Completely valid feelings. To backpedal a little <laughs> bit, I also loved as she her trip is kind of as she's um coming up on her trip that ASMR kind of vibe of hearing yeah! so good where I'm just like <laughs> the was... breathing like her breathing and I loved that ASMR effect and of her sw- you could even hear her swallow it just it to yes. me as somebody who has tripped. I can say, like, that's very accurate. Like, just that things become very much in your body. You become very conscious of your breath and and just swallowing your heartbeat. Everything slows down and you're very aware of all these processes. So I liked that they did that. That is my very next note. This movie is very ASMR. Yes. (laughs) That's so true. (laughs) Like yes. if you if if you respond to ASMR, watch this movie with headphones on, mm-hmm. and it'll give you all sorts of tingles. <laughs> yes. Oh, 
And I think it's, again, it just also makes it, it creates that sense of intimacy with the character also. So anyway, oh, yeah. yes. like Well, it's like you're living in her head for a little bit. Yes. Because you know how you hear things going on inside your skull because your skull amplifies the noises and everything like that. That's a that's a personal sort of intimate audio that yeah. you get. And when you listen to ASMR, there is something intimate about it. And for some people, it is sexual. Oh, interesting. So, so getting this ASMR moment in the movie is almost like the closest we get to almost literally being inside of her head. Exactly. We're hearing the sounds that she might be hearing inside her skull. Right. Which makes it just very immersive like being mm-hmm. it being part of her trip. So I, I enjoyed that. And just the whole uh, like process of her slowly going into this bog swamp lake and the crazed eyes and her, you know, drowning her kid if the kid is indeed alive still. And that whole psychedelic scene, I completely get it. It was long as fuck. It's also just a Technicolor show and I know it definitely could be encapsulated in much shorter amount of time, so completely valid. I do like how it felt like an embryo in a womb and the pulsation and the reds that are emanating. It kind of had this abstracted Ooh, yeah. pl- placenta vibe to it, as if she's gestating in the lake and she emerges after but yeah, so it felt like an amniotic bath and you hear the pulsations and you see the reds and things develop more and more through the sequence. And it, to me, implies it being in utero in a way. That's actually a really good point. I thought that was a well, yes, I think that's a good interpretation of it. It was still nap time, though. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> totally fair. <laughs> So this is how blood ends. I But all, one last thing, and I think Jesse will agree with me here. It's impossible to eat mushrooms on accident. Oh, that yeah, absolutely. That goes back to like is she, this fatalistic thing that's going on with her. I, yeah, I don't know if that she's necessarily accidentally eating anything. Oh, you anything. think she's doing it on purpose? Whether she knows it's psychedelic or not. But no, but like she, what I mean is... If you are just looking for mushrooms for sustenance. I don't think that's what she's no, doing. No, this is, again, kind of goes back to the parallel of, like, this is either a very mentally ill woman who is has that kind of, when you're so mentally ill, just this lack of awareness of the world around you and maybe doing things that aren't logical, like eating a possible poisonous mushroom that makes you hallucinate. Or if she is a witch, it's it's... It's medicine, and it's a means to an end to initiate a headspace. Okay, but but it's but confusing. yes, I think to your point, it's very obviously, it's very obvious that she didn't do it accidentally. Yeah, your point that you can't eat a psychedelic mushroom. You wouldn't think of it. I mean, you would know it doesn't taste right, so it just doesn't. Yeah. I thought she was just eating a mushroom. She was like, la da I'm in the forest. Mushrooms are good. <laughs> and then she went on this trip. But there's also the, like, the symbolism of the festering maggots in the mushrooms. Oh, yeah. I thought that was the start of her trip. I thought she was seeing that. No, she, she saw that before Mm-mm. she took the mushroom. Then she saw it on her foot. 
after she started tripping. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, it's a harbinger of death. (laughs) So, blood is over. Fire starts. She's lying in her bed. A snake starts crawling over her body, just like the one she found crawling over her mother's body when she found her dead body in the forest. Mm-hmm. So she finds that her baby is dead and that she has brought it into the house, apparently. Uh-huh. And that's real sad. But then we get, like, these shadows, which is why I don't know why. I, I get why this is called fire, but it's <laughs> like, this should have been called shadows. Because in those shadows, we see her mother. Right. Right? Her mother's face comes across her face. And we hear her name being called, and it's her mom's voice. Which I guess is supposed to imply, you know, like, it's being passed down, but obviously it's not being passed down if she's just gonna eat her own baby for, a you know, a devil's sacrifice. So it's not being passed down. What do you, what do you mean is being passed down? The, being a witch. Like, you know. Oh. She had her daughter and so she wants her daughter to Well, be I don't think necessarily witch. it's a gift. What's a gift? What do you mean? Being a witch. I don't think it's like, oh, now you're gonna be a witch and everything's gonna be great. Well, I think no, it's more like absolutely, a curse. Well, no, absolutely, but it's, yeah, but it's something that's supposed to be passed down, but this is what I'm talking about with the contradiction, because she does seem to love her daughter. She calls out to her daughter. She says her name and all this stuff, but, like, here now, well, she's supposed to do the sacrifice of her baby, that doesn't make any sense if she's supposed to be continuing the lineage. This is my point. I don't think it's a gift to a lineage that continues on, that they're trying to pass it on from generation to generation. Mm-hmm. I think it is a curse. Yeah. And part of her consuming, okay, she's going to eat her baby. Part of her eating her baby and part of her having drowned her baby cuts off that line. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Because it is a curse. Yeah. You do not want that line to continue. Well, I mean, you could interpret it to be that it's a sacrifice, or you could interpret it to be that she killed the baby when she was fucked out of her mind, and then when she came to, she decided to eat it because why waste good meat? I don't know. There's there's so Maybe. many different ways to interpret this. What are your thoughts, Jesse? I mean, again, she's tripping balls. <laughs> And it's, it's, it's God, has it triggered psychosis at this point? Probably. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, so I think there's just intense psychedelia going on. She's completely unhinged. As far as why she would eat her baby, is it a form of self-punishment? Is it a form of atonement? I don't know. Is it a form of witchcraft? Who's to say there's also just witches used to eat babies in folklore. You know what I mean? That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. So there's that too. I, I don't have, I know that at, you know after she ate her baby her and she started vomiting really cool looking vomit that just was extremely unsettling. Also just as, you know, her she has the dead baby. The dead baby is obviously in a state of early decay, decomposition. She lowers the baby into this cauldron. The next scene, it's almost like baby back ribs that she's eating. And you can tell she doesn't really want to. And she's losing her shit. Mm-hmm. And then she starts vomiting this, like, white, disgusting stuff. And she's crying out in misery. Mm-hmm. It, and it's in, and she this sees is com- her mom too. Yeah, and her mom like laughs at her. Yes, and then she starts tripping harder because 
Mm-hmm. In like physically, if you're vomiting when you're hallucinating, it usually makes you hallucinate more. So it intensifies the trip. But I, I do, a little aside is, this started much later, but there's a cult called Paulo Mayombe, and they have a practice where they have something called an inganga, which is a cauldron that they fill with blood, semen, bones, human shit, elemental items like sticks and other kinds of human remains, and it's meant to raise dark energy and dark magic. And by feeding the cauldron, you're, you're increasing the potency of your dark magic. So I know it's not the same because these are very different cultures happening in different times, but it did remind me of that, of like it's conjuring this really dark energy that's disgusting. But she could also just be a psychotic lady who's lost her mind and is now consuming Mm -hmm. the flesh of her child. True. But you're right. It's very traumatic for her. Yes. She ends up vomiting up. She ends up seeing more things, tripping even further, runs away, finds a hilltop somewhere, Mm -hmm. lies down in the grass. We see her eyes. They're like glaucoma- Yeah, dead eyes. And I I tried to watch. I don't know if it is necessarily the case because it might be going too slow, but it looked like it, well, it was at least dawn, mm-hmm. if not the sun was literally touching her, mm-hmm. at which point she bursts into flames. Oh, so you think it's kind of like a demon thing, like she can't be out in the sunlight? Maybe. Maybe maybe she, at that moment that she cooked and ate her own baby, that's the point where she crossed the line mm-hmm. and leaving herself out there open, naked to the sun, God's presence mm-hmm. is what causes her to combust. Or the punishment of a witch being lit on fire. Yeah. And is it literal? Yeah. Is this a literal moment of did she actually combust or did she go up on this mountaintop and die? And this is like a figurative part. I don't know. But yeah, we watch the credits come up over video of her aflame, and that's where the movie ends. Mm-hmm. Almost anticlimactic in a way. Because, like, it mm-hmm. happens. Oh, almost? <laughs> almost, just. <laughs> amazing (laughs) oh that's so good that was amazing (laughs) what do you guys think this movie has on rotten tomatoes what do you think it has jess on rotten tomatoes i mean i'm going to go so far to say that the the audience score and the critic score are going to have a huge gap in between them so i might have cheated but i i think that it has around it has a very good critic score on rotten tomatoes i want to say it's in the 90% range in the audience score i'm going to say it's probably in the 50% range Cassie, what do you think i'm going to guess it's like in the mid 60s i'm going to say like 64 it has a 96% on rotten tomatoes with this consensus review, Hagazusa, a heathen's curse, weaves a spooky supernatural story that should satisfy horror fans with more adventurous inclinations. It has a Metacritic of 72, no cinema score. <laughs> Kelsa. <laughs> I 
I see why. I see why. It's a well-made movie. But that does not mean it is entertaining. That does not mean that it is scary. Yeah, it it is a piece of art. It is a piece of art. But you know what I think about art? I think art is supposed to sit there and not move. And I'm supposed to look at it and appreciate it. And then walk away and not spend two hours looking at it. <laughs> oh, you mean you mean like visual? Yes, I static think, art. I think it. Yeah. Okay. And that's not to say that I don't enjoy artistic films. I do. There are many I do enjoy. I just I need something plot. more. You need something to ground yourself in. Yes, I need plot. Yeah. Fair. Totally. Totally fair. I, I wrote here. I mentioned after we saw the movie that I liked it more than I disliked it, Kelsey. So I would be a contributing factor to that score if I was a professional reviewer. So I understand how 96% of reviews are positive. Because despite the fact that I would not give this a 96 score, I would still be a positive review. Uh-huh. So I would be contributing to this. But That's how at I feel 96, about a lot of my reviews. Exactly. 96 as a rating is way too high. The There is one sole dissenting opinion That was Nick Allen from RogerEbert.com who said it was a frustrating genre pick that's just too dreary to be scary. That sounds like what you're saying, Kels. Yeah, that is. That is exactly what I'm saying. Pretty much. But otherwise, everyone liked it more than they disliked it. Or at least 96% of professional reviewers liked it more than they disliked it. What are you going to give it, Jez? So I would say... I, I kind of hit hit the high notes at the top of, of the conversation, but like aesthetically, it's stunning. The composition is incredible. The location is just, I've not seen a more beautiful location for a film, especially of this budget. You know, it was stunning, just the, the setting. I loved the way that it was colored thought that was really great and just, again, kind of had that desaturated look to it at points that I enjoyed. The music is just, the guys that did it is this Greek duo, and they just, it's right up my alley. It's it's very creepy, dready, ambient, droning music, and I I listen to that on my free time, so I enjoy that. Oh, I should probably (laughs) cut in here. That you know how I said the names of the songs in the closed captioning were foreboding theme and dramatic theme. Over the credits, it was foreboding theme with chanting. Yes, <laughs> yes. Because there was actually chanting going on. It, right, some probably very like low, low frequency Gregorian esque, you know, chanting going on. Maybe you know, but anyway, I, I love the score. And uh, I will d- agree with you, Jess. I will agree with you. I think that it was effective. Mm-hmm. I think the sounds were effective. I wonder if it has anything to do with that tone that causes dread. Yes. There's something in our brains that when we hear a certain tone, it makes us feel a sense of dread and foreboding. Yes. And that's what they chalk up a lot of like people thinking they see ghosts or that their house is haunted mm-hmm. is that like their air conditioning is rumbling at that frequency mm-hmm. and it's causing the sense of foreboding in them. Really? Yeah. They've run tests on that where they where they put that frequency out through speakers during like a concert or something else and the people who were closest to the speakers would claim that they had this weird sense of dread. Mm. 
and those that were further away reported that less or something like that. And it's a low, low frequency. And I love that shit. There are some other bands that employ it deliberately, like Coil, and there's some other bands that do that because it actually can make your guts feel like they're churning because it's this weird low frequency that actually affects you physically. So mm-hmm. I love that. I respect that. I'm into it. I'm all in. So I love that. It reminds me a little bit of... There's another like composer who I love, and his name is Ben Frost, and he did the music for Dark, and he has like a similar really... like just there's a lot of dread there's some weird kind of anyway i'm i'm going on i liked the intimacy <laughs> i liked the intimacy and in kind of the asmr moments so that's what i liked while also with that caveat like i said earlier of this was not an accessible film this is very navel gazy it is not for the average joe most likely so all that said yeah i those are my takeaways what would you give it? I know you guys are going to be mad. If you had to score it. I'm going to give it a 90. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> you are entitled to your opinion. <laughs> <laughs> okay, for me, I think it is. I think it is a well-made movie. Uh, Jesse, I agree with, like, most of what you say. I just, I, I need more than that. I think that all the stuff that you were saying, I think for me, that is all icing. And when a when a good movie has that, it's a complete package. And it's like, hallelujah, mm. somebody figured out how to do it right. But at the end of the day, I want the cake more than I want the icing. So if- You cut into this cake and found out that it was all icing? Mm-hmm. I, I need- a little more substance. Even, okay, even if I don't want to think of this as a horror movie. I mean, because if I, because I don't. So if I just, even just thinking of it as a drama, even as just a drama, I need more. And not necessarily events, but be more forthright with what you have to say. I don't enjoy ambiguity. I think we've already covered why. Mm-hmm. It does, from my perspective, it does feel lazy and it puts all the pressure on me to come up with it. And then when other people have a different idea, it's like, well, who's right? And I don't know because there is no, like, who's right. And, like, you could say that that's, you could argue that way about anything. I mean, any type of art can be interpreted a different way. Right, but you don't have to like that. Sure. I'm agreeing with you here. That's my Yeah, I want to have... I want to be able to write an essay about your work. And if you haven't given me enough things to use as my examples in my essay, then you fucked up. (laughs) You know? You didn't give me enough to write about. You didn't give me enough to dive into. Does that make sense? I I think you definitely could. There's a lot you could write about. That's what I was going to say. But it's maybe a little too meandering. It's hard to find a thesis in all of that. I mean, that I can point to and be like, this proves my point. Right. Because there's too many things that contradict my point. You know? It's meandering. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't say contradict, but that's just me. But yes, it it meanders. It's unclear. But I also agree with Chris where just there is a lot to write about and unpack and theorize about like the what this was really about. What was the commentary? What was the real situation? But I also everything you said is true and completely valid. 
There's no structure to this movie. I completely understand. There's very little structure and like a story arc. There's really not much. Like there are events that happen that are, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Fence posts along the way, but there is not. I understand it doesn't make you wrong by any means. I, I, Chris, I told Chris, my, my husband Chris, about this movie and he was like, fuck you. I'm not watching your bullshit movies. I'm tired of watching your bullshit movies. He had the same response when I made him watch Killing of a Sacred Deer. He's like, this is fucking bullshit. And he didn't talk to me for two days. So, like, completely valid. Right. I think that's the thing is that this is entirely up to you. Kelsey, and just because it exists doesn't mean you have to like it. And just because you don't like it doesn't mean it's an indictment of the thing. I'm going to give it a 70. Oh. Okay. Okay. I was surprised about that. I think it is, well, because I always have to take into account what I literally just graded, right? And I just graded Night of the Devils, which I thought was very good. But not to the point where I'm not prob- I'm probably never going to see it again. Like, there's there's no part of me that's like, oh, my God, I need to see that again. Everybody needs to see it, you know? I thought it was good. But it had a, a lot of flaws. Uh, this movie, I think, is even better in that it's, you know, it's more technical. It's beautiful. It's well shot. So it has all that stuff going for it. But again, I'm never going to see this movie again. I'm never going to watch this again. So it's just like... The entertainment value is not there for me. Yeah, I wouldn't call this film entertaining. Yeah, no, it's not entertaining at all. (laughs) (laughs) It's not entertaining at all. (laughs) But yeah, I was going to give it a 71. So it's really funny that you said 70. And like, okay, when I say entertaining, I don't mean like I only watch fun movies. I've watched many bleak okay so yeah kelsey had this reputation of liking depressing ass black films just like the worst. just if kelsey ever recommended a movie to you you'd know you'd come away feeling depressed like that was her (laughs) reputation amongst our friends jesse was exactly the same by the way we (laughs) reveled in this in high school together we loved to watch these dark dark depressing films and i can still enjoy those and watch them but this i don't think that qualifies for that because those movies, just the punches keep coming and they mm-hmm. come and they come and they come and it slams you, right? This has jarring, horrible moments, but they are far and few mm-hmm. between, you totally. know? Whereas so those movies, because there's just so much and the plot is so thick and rich, I was entertained. It doesn't mean that they were... Oh, everything's lolly lolly la. But it means that it was entertaining. It had it had value for me to come back. I want to see more of this. I need to. Did I miss something? What else can I get from this? Totally. Like we're talking like Requiem for a Dream, Train Spotting, like East Side Club. I know <laughs> these are bring up Requiem for a Dream as an example. <laughs> <laughs> Bleak as fuck, but also eventful. <laughs> Very eventful. <laughs> all right anything else to say about hagazusa do you have any thoughts chris 
I think we've covered them all. Okay. He graded at 71. That's right. Yeah, it- where I I think in the great inventory of this movie, for me, the list of things I liked exceeds the list of things I didn't like. Mm-hmm. And I think similar to Kelsey, the bleak, dark, depressing things in this movie aren't like selling points for me. They would be <laughs> they would be in the like yes, it's a beautiful movie. It's well done. It means something <laughs> if you can figure out what that is. But it doesn't mean I have to like it. It doesn't sure. mean I have to say, "Oh, I enjoyed that." So I couldn't give it as high as you just I couldn't give it a 90, but I did like it. It is on the positive end. Yeah. And I think it's more skillfully made absolutely than Night of the Devils. Yes. Yes. So I had to give it a higher score just for that. Agreed. But I had to get far away from 100. <laughs> just because of how just it made me feel absolutely terrible. Oh, it makes you feel like shit. It totally yes. makes you feel like a bottle, like just hot garbage after. <laughs> Yes, completely fair. And I mean, I think I already said it, but I want to reiterate how impressed I was with the acting of the main character when she Mm. had so few lines. Yeah. Yes. She said hardly anything. She showed immense emotion without words. Yes. Mm -hmm. And a range of emotions. It Mm -hmm. isn't just the same look the entire movie. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. So. That is 2017's Hagazusa. <laughs> Kelsey, what are we watching next week? Next week is exciting for a couple of different reasons. Next week, we are going to continue with our sequels. So we have started so many franchises and not finished any of them. Oh, well, we, we just, just finished, finished Scream. We just quote unquote finished Scream, but now Scream is coming out with a Scream 5, so we're not done with the Scream mm-hmm. series. So next week, and it's also exciting because Jesse is here. Jesse introduced me to this series when we were 12 years old. Oh, we're doing it. We're doing Hellraiser 2, Hellbound, <laughs> and Hellraiser, Hellseeker, oh, because, no. my God, are there a lot of Hellraiser movies, and if we don't start doubling them up, it will take us a decade to finish them. So, we are going to double the Hellraiser movies together. That's exciting. If I remember correctly, Hellraiser 2 was terrible. Hellraiser 2 is fucked I remember it being bizarre. <laughs> she goes to hell and yes. it's all kinds of weird. Uh-huh. But Jesse, do you remember showing me Hellraiser? I do. I remember you being real mad. <laughs> 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 yep. I think I talked about this when we did when we did the original Hellraiser. I think I talked about how you introduced me to new ideas. You're always doing this, Jess. You're always introducing me to things that I had never come across before. I'm glad to be of service. (laughs) (laughs) Well, until then, I want to say thank you to Jesse for joining us today. 
This is a great conversation. Thank you. Oh, man. Thanks so much for having me. I've been fangirling over you guys for so long. It was really fun. Would would do it again in a heartbeat and suggest better movies. (laughs) (laughs) I told her if she wants to come on here again, she has to pick a scary movie next time. I would do it in a heartbeat and will do. Challenge accepted. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, until that next time, you can always reach us at our website, podcemetery.com. Follow us on Twitter at podcemetery. Subscribe to us in your podcatcher of choice. Rate and review. A five-star written review is the biggest help you can give us there. Even bigger than that is sharing us with your friends. And even bigger than that is listening in the GD first place. Thank you all very, very much. We love each and every one of you. Until next week. I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And I've been Jesse. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Jesse, any last words? Kiss a Cenobite for me. One, two, three, clap. Nice. One, two, three, clap. You can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 2017's Hagazusa. Quick, sorry, 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 Chris. Yes. Did you ever say if people should watch it? I don't think you did. You were like, I agree, I agree. But then you didn't say definitively yes or well, no. Well, yeah, I didn't really have a definitive answer. <laughs> <Fair>. <laughs> I'm not going to say what I was actually going to say. Never mind. Really? I've decided against it. Are you sure? Because it, it makes me sound weird. Sometimes. No, say it. <laughs> say it. I just was saying, I, it's fine. I, t- I told people I went to the loony bin. You're fine. But yeah, we watched the credits come up over video of her on flames. On flames? What's the term? On fire? In flames? What's the, with flames. In uh, flame? In flames. A flame. In flames. A flame. Yes, a flame. A flame. There you go. <laughs> Kelsey, what are we watching next week? You don't know, do you? Oh, fuck. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> Man, there goes my masturbation time. I'm highly organized. Hill folk. These people going to drink my piss. la I'm in the forest. Mushrooms are good. Okay, so she's going to eat her baby. I'm going All to right. press stop. Yes, please do. Okay.